I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season. All the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on a Monday morning, 7 a.m. Head to head with Good Morning Football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're here to review all of the week seven action. How you doing, man? Good. Are you going to leave for, you know, what's the show that Nate Burleson went to? Just Good Morning America? Is that it? Where'd he go? CBS This Morning? This morning, okay. Something uh, like this, that. Some morning. One yeah. of the big uh, morning shows some, on the national yeah, yeah. networks? Uh-huh. I might. You, you gonna bounce? I could. You can't go on one of those. You're too big. You can't be put, like... What? They have chairs? Step yeah, stools for the co you need co-host? your own special chair that doesn't put your knees up by your ears and stuff. No, no, you're just too awkward. You would miss me. Uh, that, you know, who knows? You would never admit that. Uh, who knows? That's, <laughs> I got a who knows out of them. That's, that's pretty good. All right, we're gonna get into all the action. But first, quick announcement. Quick announcement. This Friday, what's going down? Yeah, the, the baseball thing, the charity event that we've been, uh, we, we got there ages ago, and then we've been kind of radio silent for a while. It's because we've been waiting patiently for the venue to become available. Yeah. It is now available. We are going to be doing this thing at Great American Ballpark, the yeah. Cincinnati Red Stadium. Now, they're not going to let us use, you know, the field where we could make a mess, but... They're going to give us access to certain parts of Great American Ballpark. <laughs> Absolutely. A.K.A. the bullpen. So, huge thank you to the Reds and to Dave Solfaro, who's set all this up and, and got it rolling. We will find out if I can pitch 60 miles an hour with our own radar gun on uh, on Friday, upcoming Friday. All right. So, that's happening. We'll record it this Friday. We'll figure out how we... Uh, yeah, it'll be like unveil. last time. We'll yeah. have like a little video of the whole thing and we'll show documented proof. This is, but it'll happen. It's my, my former home stadium here. You could see, you know, right over your shoulder, the Palazzolo jersey. That's a Palazzolo Reds jersey. Yeah. Because uh, I played there. And then we're on to, uh, so after that, we'll be on to the next charity drive, finally. So we will need suggestions for the charity uh, to donate to and also what we can do, you know? Because we're we're out of, not out of ideas, but this has been the latest idea. idea. We've been on this one for a while. We haven't been thinking about this for ages. We're on to the next idea. Yeah, on to the next thing. All right. uh, So. Be excited. Be excited about that. All right, week seven. Let's get to it. Uh, Don't forget Thursday night. We we don't neglect Thursday night football. We just uh, touch it. We don't spend the time to review it. The NFL does. Yeah, the the NFL does. Uh, Arizona Cardinals beat the New Orleans Saints 42 to 34. Yeah, we got some points this time. Yeah, a lot of points. Touchdowns. Sixes and the whole thing. Um, So, yeah, that was exciting. Uh, We're going to get into Sunday's games right now. That's it? That's your breakdown? Did you have anything else on that? Arizona moves to three and four like – in the NFC West now, three teams are three and four, and of course the Seattle Seahawks sitting there in first. For the Geno Smith-led Seahawks atop the division, what we yeah. thought was one of the best divisions in football. That's right. Yeah, pretty impressive. Um, that, that's that's really all you got in this game, huh? You just just it happened. We just haven't Pounds. been reviewing Thursday night football. I don't want to stray from that. Well, you know, we had the Red Rifle who was playing really well, except for all the times he threw the ball to the defense. Uh, neither pick six was his fault. Well, the well, one in the end zone was his. Yeah. He had one in the end zone, two pick sixes, one that was off the uh, Marcos Callaway's hands, another one he gets hit, popped while throwing, goes right to Isaiah Simmons, two pick sixes. Arizona's offense, though, um, I know you had 14 points there because of the pick sixes, but 
they looked much better with DeAndre Hopkins mm-hmm. back. They fed him eight or nine catches for him. 14 so, targets. Yeah. That, Nobody that, else had more than five. That made sense. Went back to last year's offense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just feed DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one, mm-hmm. and you're going to at least move the ball a little bit better. Kyler Murray, I was reading his yards per attempt figure over the last few shows, and it was all between five and six. Every single game. He was up to seven yeah. in this game. So see? you can see the difference in this Arizona offense with, with Nuke Hopkins back. See, you have things to say. You just need to be prompted. Ten catches for 103. Kevin White shows up with a big play. He did. 64-yard. Former first-rounder. The guy that people were debating. Is it Amari Cooper? Is it Kevin White? Well, this week, at least on Thursday, it was Kevin White. Yeah. Um, and Rahid Shahid. With another monster play. Get this time, three yarder on a post. Yeah, this time the bomb deep down the field after his run after a run play uh, last week. So he actually looks like quite an exciting player. All of a sudden, like if that receiving core gets healthy, you know, if you have Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Alvin Kamara out of the backfield, Rahid Shahid, Marquez Callaway, like they've got some real playmakers. I agree. I mean, the Saints remain confusing because you know, Chris Olave went over 100 yards again. He he is absolutely fantastic as far as getting open and the big playability that he's added. The Saints remain confusing because the defense has been so inconsistent this year um and the offense has all the pieces, but even that even the offense has just gone in spurts. This was a this was a good spurt for the offense. You can't take away those pick sixes. You they were a yeah. thing, but um the offense was moving the ball, so Saints are two and five and very confusing. Sure. How's that? Good. All right. Let's go to yesterday's action. Starting with, let's go Baltimore Ravens 23, Cleveland Browns 20. Ravens moved to four and three. And I think most importantly, they, they held a lead. They did. Time. Just about. They tried to throw it away again. For um, the seventh straight week, the Ravens had at least a 10-point lead. They showed a graphic at one point. It was like all the te- the number of games in which a team had held a 10-plus point lead so far this season, right? And then it was the record of those teams at this point in the season. So yeah. the Eagles, I think, were were number one. They'd, let it, they'd done it every week or whatever, and they were obviously 6-0. and um, And then it was a bunch of other teams. Everyone has a good record, basically, except Baltimore who somehow conspired to be like 500 with all these 10-point leads. But they ended up getting this one. Oh, get, got it over the line, just about. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're starting to think it could happen again. It's 20-13. to 13. It got close. It was 20-10. to 10. The Browns kicked a field goal. There was a point where Jacoby Brissett hit, I think it was Amari Cooper, that had the deep ball where he pushed off. Yep. Uh, it was a clear push off. By the way, though. But it, did, it, start, it started to feel like. That's such an egregious penalty. Offensive pass interference on plays like that is so harsh because the down's dead and you're back 10 yards. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like, it's, it's a killer for something that's like usually most of the... Well, no, you, redo, you replay the down, you just lose 10. Yeah, but the, the 10 is massive, yeah, particularly in those massive. situations where you're, you know, trying to move down the field to get, a, get any kind of score on the board. Yeah, don't cheat. I mean, a minor push-off, like, I... I have no... Not to complain about the officiating again, but, um, and I'm not saying it was necessarily a bad call. It is just really tough. Look, we were, we were very candid about our grading last year, last week and everything. A lot of the times when we go through our grading, it's comparing like plays, right? And you kind of go back and if there are questionable plays, you look at it and say, hey, the last time we saw something like this, we gave it X, right? The offici- it's really tough to watch football plays and think, I just watched this one game where the receiver, you know, strong arm somebody at the at the catch point and they counted. Yeah. And then another one where it's like, 
you know, the bent elbow nudge or whatever, and it gets called. Whatever it is, right? It, it is, is so very thin. difficult seeing the A-B analysis of calls. That's why I think it's so harsh as a penalty, because that line is so thin that essentially it's an arbitrary cutoff, whether you're like, yep, yeah, great play, 40 yards down the field, or nope, and we're going to penalize you 10 yards for even trying that, you yeah. asshole. Like, that's, that's the line we're talking about. I know you can make the same argument that for the defensive side of the ball, coverage is the same line. It's like the fine line between, yep, great coverage, well done, and no, actually, we're going to move the ball 50 yards downfield because you were too grabby. But like at least one way, you're actively stopping the other guy catching the ball. The other way, you're just kind of creating a little bit of separation and giving yourself an opportunity to make the play. You still have to make the play after you, quote-unquote, cheated. Uh, the Ravens... <clears throat> uh, run-heavy attack here. 44 total carries, include, including everything from Lamar. The Gus bus, back from his yeah. ACL. Gus was back. Looked finds good. The, finds the end zone twice. The, the Kenyon Drake, after being the guy, what did he average, 10 yards per carry the week before, he goes 11 carries for five yards. But Gus Edwards, looking good in his return. Lamar had his usual on the ground. Uh, but they only dropped. They dropped back under 20 times. 16 attempts and three sacks for Lamar Jackson, run-heavy attack here. They did get Devin uh, DuVernay involved with uh, a 31-yarder, but not as much as maybe Greg Roman wanted to with the exclamation point. But look, the Ravens moved to 4-3. and three. They took care of business as far as having the lead goes. And the Browns' once-promising season starting to get off the rails here, down to 2-5. and five. Yeah, um, though this one wasn't... Like last week, I think we saw what happens when Jacoby Brissett has one of those bad games. You know, five turnover-worthy plays. He looked not good at all my logic for taking the browns at least to cover which they did this week is he's not can't possibly do that again you know you're not gonna get a five turnover where they play from game from Brissett again and he didn't you got a much more balanced version of jacoby Brissett. now it still wasn't great but there were a couple of dimes in there a couple of really nice plays you know his fumble in the pocket was a kind of unlucky like he Steps up to avoid the first pressure by Justin Houston, and then Calais Campbell, by virtue of being nine foot tall, ends up getting one arm in there and knocking the ball loose just as he goes through. There's benefits to being nine foot tall. There really is, particularly when you're a defensive lineman trying to get a sack. Um, so that was, you know, it's not like he's completely blameless there, but kind of unlucky. Um, and yeah, those and were he, a couple, couple strip sacks there where he just doesn't feel the pressure as well as he could. But you that have. one, though, like it's. I mean, he felt it. You know, he got up. He was moving away from the initial pressure from Houston and just didn't budget for the idea that Calais Campbell is that freaking big and long and has that kind of reach with his arm to be able to get in there and knock the ball out. Um, but then, you know, had a nice time to... It was uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones late down the sideline. Had another one to Amari Cooper on that play where he pushed off. Like, he was executing the comeback until it didn't happen. He was executing the comeback until it didn't happen. Uh, once again, uh, Ravens did a nice job. A few guys rushing the passer, Adafi Owe. You mentioned Calais Campbell with the strip sack. Kyle Hamilton, who they've used in more of a, you know, uh, sub, you know, sub type of role, you know, linebacker slot hybrid. Hamilton um, had a really nice pass rush and a sack, uh, beating right guard Yelde Frillholt. Um, the the Browns struggled in a couple spots along the offensive line, and it really was it came down to it just a couple key plays here and there. You know, Nick Chubb still has another spectacular game, but it's just not enough when you're riding yeah. a running back. They gave like themselves a shot. Like JOK had a really good forced fumble late to get the ball yep. back with three minutes left, down three. Um, they had a shot at it and just didn't get it done. The Browns, I think, did a really smart job of 
sort of leaning on David Njoku in the past game. And, you know, Baltimore has this weird defense where they play the sort of sub packages and you're never quite sure who is going to line up uh, covering guys like tight ends and running backs. And they were able to get Njoku isolated with Patrick Queen a bunch of times in coverage. And that's that's just a massive mismatch for the Browns. So even though, like, Queen had one of those games where it was a drive where he had back-to-back really nice tackles for a loss, like shot through the line, made a play. Uh, but his grade isn't going to be that great, in part because they were able to pick on him with Njoku and coverage quite a lot. All right, so the Ravens, they're going to turn around quickly, have Thursday night football against the Bucks this week. And as, as oh, I mentioned, boy. Browns fall. Yeah, I know. Browns fall to two and five. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house in 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with the promo code PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You don't want to miss out on this from No House Advantage. Other AFC North team here, Cincinnati Bengals, looking like last year's Bengals here, 35-17 to over the Atlanta Falcons. This was one of those games, remember late in the season last year? When Joe Burrow, was it, he went over 500 yards, was it twice last year? Or it was like 450 in one game and 500 in the other, whatever it was. I mean, in this one, Burrow goes 34 for 42 for 481 and three touchdowns. It looks like a, a college stat line here. Um, but this was the Bengals passing attack. They put it in Burrow's hands early. And um, the chase familiarity factor, Sam, we're going to make this a thing. Mm. How familiar are you? with Jamar Chase. The Falcons, not familiar enough. problem with that is you only get one kind of go-round at it, you know? It's not a thing that lasts throughout your entire career, generally. I guess it didn't work against the Rams in the Super Bowl, but... Well, okay, I mean, you know, they, they had different his. problems in that game. But, yeah, like, so we talked about this before the game. They were facing a team that hasn't seen Jamar Chase yet, but a player who has, A.J. Terrell, uh, faced him in the national title game, and it was that was a weird game where... Depending on how you view those plays, changes your opinion on A.J. Terrell as a prospect. So a lot of people looked at that game and went, wow, A.J. Terrell's the guy getting wrecked by Jamar Chase every play. You're like, okay, sure. The other way of looking at it is A.J. Terrell actually did a really good job of being basically challenging at the catch point pretty much every play that went Jamar Chase's way in that national title game. Um, And that is quite impressive when you see what other cornerbacks or what happened to other cornerbacks against him. So Trayvon Diggs, for example, most of the plays was not in a position to challenge at the catch point. Very not in a position to challenge at the catch point when he faced Jamar Chase in college. Um, So anyway, you're like, A.J. Terrell has seen him. He's not going to be surprised. He knows what to expect. And then A.J. Terrell seems to pop a hamstring early in the game, just running a, a pattern with Jamar Chase, and he's gone. All of a sudden, there's nobody left in that secondary who has seen Jamar Chase before, and that's when Jamar Chase starts to go nuts. And all right, the rest of the secondary was already getting wrecked. You know, Tyler Boyd did them on a, a coverage bust early in the game where Richie James just fell over in the middle of his backpedal. That's, that's never good. 
Um, it was not good. There was I, in literally five seconds Richie apart. Grant. Yeah, five seconds apart. Um, Tyler Boyd deep touchdown on a coverage bust, and Mike Evans drops his deep shot on a coverage bust. But same thing, guy fell over. Yeah. Um, literally, those plays happened almost at the exact same time, and one of them was complete, the other one wasn't, potentially changing the course of those games. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely did. Look, the Bengals, I, I thought that the Falcons might, you know, play the cover two and, you know, keep it close or whatever. It didn't matter. Bengals had answers, on short stuff, deep stuff. They are getting Tyler Boyd involved a whole lot more these last couple of weeks. We mentioned how he was a big part of their offense last week working out of the slot. He leads the team with 155 yards, had that 60-yard touchdown, as you mentioned. Um, and then the Jamar Chase factor was just they hit him on a little stop route up the sideline. Yeah, that happens all the time. But the thing that made Jamar Chase so special and even surprising to us was when he turned a normal 15 to 20 yard gain into a 41 yard touchdown and runs past the defense and that's that familiarity factor when he's just so much faster on Sunday you know on the field and um, this was Chase got his Boyd got his T Higgins had his 93 yards on five catches like I said Joe Burrow feeling it didn't miss a whole lot of throws and I'm not saying it's going to happen like this every week, but this was reminiscent of the second half run that the Bengals made last year where they went from run first attack to, oh, by the way, Joe Burrow could play as well as any quarterback in the league in any given week, and this is what we saw. But it's another example of it needs the pass protection to just hold up. You know, yeah. It just needs to be – it doesn't even need to be good. It just needs to not be a complete and total disaster, and then you see that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase still functions. Now, again – I don't know how that dynamic changes once Jamar Chase has like been through the league and he's run out of teams that haven't seen him before and all he's facing now is teams that are prepared for how explosive and how good he is. I mean, that, like, it's, a, it's a fun theory and all that, Sam. It doesn't mean he's going to go from like really good to just this average receiver. I'm, but. Not saying that, I'm, saying, I'm not saying that changes. Like Randy Moss had the same thing, right? Randy Moss went from being utterly surprising and devastating the first time anybody played him. He was literally unstoppable in that 1998 season. And then teams had a better understanding of what Randy Moss could do to them, and they changed the way they would defend him, and Randy Moss had to win in different ways. Randy Moss still went on to be one of the greatest wide receivers in NFL history, set you know, insane career numbers, and do it in a variety of different ways. But it changed, right? It, it wasn't the same. 1998 didn't happen every single season. Like, he had to win in different ways from that point on. Jamar Chase is going to have the same thing, where it, you're only going to get one rookie year of complete surprise for everybody that faces him and then he's going to have to do it in a slightly different manner and show that he can win more consistently and those kinds of things so i'm not saying it's the difference between jamar chase being good and bad but it is going to make it harder for him and burrow to succeed going forward once they're not taking advantage of that every single week you're right so this will probably end up being the best game as far as pass protection goes for the Bengals offensive line, yeah, I think. Inept pass rush versus a... Yeah, the, the Falcons just don't have enough guys who rush the passer. Last week they did a nice job against the Niners, backup tackles, not enough here in this one. The other um, odd stat line here is Marcus Mariota only drop back, drops back 21 total times. He ended up 8 for 13 for a buck 24. The type of stat line you would see in a game where Atlanta ran like crazy and was in control of the game, but they were down the entire time. You have a 75-yarder from Demir Bird in there, but that was pretty much it as far as this passing attack. It is it is odd that Atlanta they didn't run a, they didn't run a ton of plays 
generally. They ran under 50 plays, but they they weren't really throwing the ball a ton to get back into this one. So I mean, remember- so this was like an interesting game kind of flow situation. They were getting wrecked. Like the Bengals were scoring pretty much every drive early in the game. The Falcons were getting nothing done. They were 28-7 down. Um heading towards the half and then they get that 75-yard touchdown to Demir Bird. They have a nice punt return off the the Bengals don't go anywhere the next drive. They have a nice punt return. They get a field goal out of it. All of a sudden, they put on 10 just before the half, and they get the ball back to start the third quarter. You're like, oh, this this isn't quite dead and buried. And then they just got nothing done the second half. And Cincinnati didn't get a ton done themselves, but they didn't have to at that point because they they sort of stemmed the uh, the potential comeback. So that was it. Bengals moved to 4-3. and three. They're tied with the Ravens now atop the... AFC North. Now the Falcons, because the Bucks lost, Falcons are still tied for first at three and four. If Tampa Bay loses on Thursday, the winner of uh, Atlanta Carolina goes top of that division. Yeah, it's an absolute mess right now because the Bucks don't look like the Bucks. We'll get to them in just a few minutes. Next up, per my Twitter, Giants and Jaguars. Giants twenty-three, Jaguars seventeen. Giants move to six and one. Sam. Jaguars fall to two and five, even though they were favored at home. The Giants win in yes. cover. But first, uh, smash that like button. You oh, look told at you. people that. That's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Has anybody hit the like button yet? Not enough people, but some people. You know, not enough people. Yeah, I'd like to point out up. before we get into the the tired trope of Sam dismissing the Giants. I did predict them to cover this game, and they did. That's good. I predicted the opposite because I thought they would cover. Your, your, your strategy of do the exact opposite of what you think should happen, it worked. You've already had, you tied for your best week already with a game to go. That's great. You've already got seven wins on the board. That's great. It's just it's definitely an uptick over your five and then two. You've got, the, mo- you've got a, the same number of wins as you had the last two weeks combined with a game still to go. Oh, man, what an embarrassment. <laughs> so the Giants do it again. Another fourth quarter comeback. Yeah. The, the rushing attack is impressive. You know, Saquon Barkley with five, uh, a few big runs in there, especially in crunch time when they were running out, even though he did run out of bounds at one time. But um, <clears throat> Daniel Jones ends up with 107 yards on 11 carries. He had seven rushing first downs. I want to get your thoughts on it, but I, I want to circle back to what Daniel Jones brought to the run game here for the Giants. Yeah, Daniel Jones is one of the most... Um confusingly successful rushing quarterbacks I can think of like I mean it's not like he's unathletic but neither is it that he's so athletic that you think it should be a problem I'm not quite certain why he's as successful running the ball as he is Um, but it is like a real legitimate threat on this Giants offense because you can't switch off and not account for him in the run game you have to actually prepare for the idea that he could take off at any moment and make a play on the ground um, which changes the dynamic of everything else, right? If you're dedicating that kind of resource to a quarterback the way you have to do for rushing threat quarterbacks, it affects the passing game. It affects the secondary. He does have decent speed. I mean, I'm trying to think of other... Look, I, I didn't think Jalen Hurts... Jalen Hurts is a good running quarterback. Yeah. But they also just tap into it a lot. Right. But Jalen Hurts is so much like bigger and physical, more physical and stronger than Daniel Jones. I know. Jones. Daniel Jones has good straight. He's a good long strider. He's fast. You know, like he's a good straight line speed guy. Um, of his, So he had seven first downs yesterday on 11 carries. He had the QB sneak, which was the go-ahead touchdown. But other than that, he had three keepers. 
He had a naked boot where they put him out on the edge and a couple scrambles. So it was it was a mix. Um, I think he certainly has enough speed to just to just keep it right. That you have to respect him in the keeper game, which opens things up for Barkley and the rest of the running backs and everything, right? So I think there's that element, but I think you just have to look at the Giants and say they're tapping into it, right? Seven first downs, man. If you just steal seven first downs, it's not like this every week, but you steal five to seven first downs in a game, all of a sudden the offense that, look, it's not a great offense. It's not an explosive offense, but they they do just enough. Um, David Garrard always reminded me of, of this, right? David Garrard was like this efficient passer yeah. for the Jaguars. He was pretty good. He wasn't spectacular. But two, three, four, five times a game, he would just move the chains. Third and five, he'd pick up six on the ground. He did just enough to be a little bit better offensively. And I think Daniel Jones right now, especially these last few weeks, has elements of that for this Giants offense. Yeah, and look, it's so important to real, to kind of acknowledge who he's throwing to. I mean, we've made sure. this point for Trevor Lawrence before, which is, yeah, look, things might be upticking, but he's still got a pretty rough supporting cast. Daniel Jones is primary target right now is Wandale Robinson the rookie gimmick player coming out of college he's becoming like the biggest part of this offense he had nine targets nobody else had more than eight six catches uh two more than anybody else like he's getting it done without particularly good receivers he's also getting done without a good offensive line like again it was Andrew Thomas and basically nobody else Evan Neal went down with an injury that didn't look great over the course of that game that's not going to help so the Giants really iced this game in the fourth quarter. I mean, they just kept running the ball in the fourth quarter and yeah. dominating the Jags. They had over 100 yards rushing in the fourth quarter. They had eight first downs in the fourth quarter just running the ball. Um, like they were, they they were impressive late in the game. Like, okay, it's the Jags, so it's not the most impressive opposition in the world. But this is the reality of the Giants this year. They're winning these close games that they. They're in seemingly every week. They're not. They're good enough to keep themselves in most games, and then they're well enough coached that they're stealing these edges and, and getting over the line. Jaguars had a chance to win it, or at least had an attempt to win it at the end. They're down six. They're driving at about the 35-yard line. Trevor Lawrence hits uh, Christian Kirk right at about the one-and-a-half-yard yeah. line, hoping he was just kind of, you one know, catch short. it. Momentum would bring him in. It's not the worst decision in the world because the Giants are playing – the end zone, but they just did a really good job. It's like the Rams, the, uh, the Rams Titans Super Bowl, one yard short. Just yeah, didn't get there. One yard short. The that other was, thing, I'm yeah. going to be running back guy today. The other kind of piece of information from this game was Travis Etienne, who looked, I think, more explosive than he did last week. Now, looked more explosive and still got run down by a defensive end, but okay, fine. We'll just you know, put a pin in that. There's two ways of looking at that one. There's one, it's like that's not great to be run down by a defensive end, you know. And then the other way of looking at it is, wow, that's a really impressive play by Thibodeau to run whatever that was, 50 yards in a straight line, chase him down, basically outrun a cornerback to get it done. Like the backside corner was coming across to, to fill, um, and Thibodeau was the guy that got there first. So really cool play just to watch. But also, so Etienne became like the primary running back in this game. He got 80% of the rushing snaps, or of the snaps period, rather, he was the running back in the two-minute situations, which you would expect as the sort of pass-catching back. But he was also the short yardage running back. Um, he got he was running back number one in all scenarios, despite the fact that you know James Robinson has been really good coming back off his injury. So 
we've kind of the, the Etienne career got knocked sideways with his injury and with the Urban Meyer thing, but we might actually be seeing him finally, not finally, we might be seeing him emerge now as this number one guy that he was supposed to be. I'm rewatching this play. It's not, it's a little disingenuous to see. He did get, I mean, Thibodeau ran down the field and tackled him. Yes. He, he ran him down. Etienne, we're going with Etienne? I'm going with Etienne. Etienne had to cut back into him just a little bit. There was a guy along the sideline. Yeah, he had to move slightly into his right. He still didn't put distance between himself and Thibodeau. Yeah, but it's not like pure straight line speed. No, I'm, not say, I'm not saying... It was if a great you, play by Thibodeau. I'm not saying if you put them both running a 40, he would lose to Thibodeau. Like, we've seen their 40 times. We, we were aware of what that is. But... That was the implication. Yeah. But still, he got run down. I mean, there were running backs that would make that cut and still be able to outrun the defensive end running behind them. That's all I'm saying. I got you. Um, yeah, Etienne did look, look pretty good. Uh, Jaguars remain just inconsistent. They're not completely confusing as much as they're just inconsistent. Etienne's touchdown run was really I mean, nice, weaving through traffic as well. They're just not that good. Yeah, but like they probably should be. Maybe it's just Trevor Lawrence is, is inconsistent. He is again. He ends up with another what mid-tier type of grade. He also had one of the worst throws in the NFL of the last. You, you tried to give Daniel Jones the worst throw in the NFL earlier. Trevor Lawrence's negated turnover-worthy play. There was a penalty on it. It was in the comeback attempt, 42 seconds left, and his receiver wasn't there, but he didn't look. He just kind of threw it back across his body, ended up getting negated. Was it, I don't know what the penalty was on the play, but he just threw it back across his body, absolutely should have ended the game, and uh, didn't count. Yeah, so, didn't count then. What? Didn't count. Didn't count. Didn't so, happen. Um, but yeah, Lawrence goes back and forth between uh, some good stuff and just inconsistent accuracy inconsistent decision making feeling rushed i see a lot of people trying to make uh descriptors of kenny pickett's play and there's a lot of taylor heineke type of um comparisons out there right now for kenny pickett because it's like it's like a guy that's just trusting his talent and ability and he's sporadic but but might not have it i almost feel like trevor lawrence plays like that like he's but he has he has the physical ability but it's sporadic and it's it's just this inconsistent level of play and I don't know what the answer is I I do think I'll repeat now for the next 11 weeks here the Jaguars need an X receiver they need a true number one and I know you can say this about a lot of teams but the same way the Arizona offense was humming now again with DeAndre Hopkins on the outside everybody could use a DeAndre Hopkins I'm just saying Trevor Lawrence needs a guy that he can rely upon move all the other guys down a peg I don't care what Christian Kirk is making he's a complimentary option he's a complimentary option to the pass game Lawrence needs a true number one yeah we're still just so light on games where Trevor Lawrence takes over and looks like the guy he was supposed to be yeah and you see consistently that he's got there are plays it's it's on the play level rather than the game level at the moment and it just needs to become bigger sample sizes of the good stuff like there's plays where you see the physical talent there's plays where you see the athletic talent there's plays where you see the processing ability and the correct decision making um, capacity and then you stretch it all together and it just doesn't show up over the course of a game i don't want to say anybody can do it on in on an individual play but most quarterbacks can't that's why you get to the draft and you, everybody's talking up what these guys but, can But we do. evaluate them on consistency, right? You, you get evaluated on 40 good dropbacks, 35 good dropbacks, not 10 or 15. Yeah, but it's actually, it's quite a low 
bar to clear to even get that to the point where you're doing it over the course of a game. Like even Geno Smith had those couple of games earlier in his career with the Jets where you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, he strings a few more games like that together and we're really getting somewhere. Lawrence hasn't even really done that. That's concerning at this point, even with, again, not a great supporting cast around him. But it's not like Geno Smith had a great supporting cast around him when he was with the Jets. Like, we are just... I'm not saying it's time to panic with Trevor Lawrence, but you would really be hoping to have seen more from him at this point. Yeah. It was another fourth quarter. Last week, he did have a fourth quarter comeback attempt, and he did lead a touchdown drive, but the, the Colts came back and won the game against him. I've been critical of Lawrence in these situations. It was a, it was a difficult... The last drive was a difficult situation, needing a touchdown, but they had other opportunities in the fourth quarter, either to seal the deal or to... Um, to take the lead and they just uh not working out here for the jags credit the giants man they moved to six and one right behind the eagles now or still in the nfc east picture it sam your kicker's lining up for an onside kick you know where i'm going with this the chances of regaining possession are slim the stakes are high the tension is higher your pulse it's racing he kicks and you watch as the ball lands Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, with their unbeatable offers. Who's the girl who does the DraftKings commercials? I wonder if she's going through this script this uh, this year. She hasn't been. Uh, she hasn't Grab been doing this stuff. Right now, new customers can bet to, uh, can make any five dollar NFL bet and get two hundred dollars in free bets if your team wins. There's the drama that you need. Five dollars, turn it into two hundred. Check it out. In addition to the usual bets. Everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up, same game parlays. To make things even sweeter, you could throw down on step down, stepped up, same game parlays once per game day, all season long. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins, just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the code PFF. All right, the Packers and Commanders. Commanders win 23 to 21. Packers moved to three and four. The Commanders also moved to three and four because there's a lot of three and four teams yeah. around the NFL right now. Packers once again uh, pretty inept on offense. Aaron Rodgers a couple big time throws down the stretch. Great touchdown to Aaron Jones uh, to to get within two. But uh, Taylor Heineke and the Commanders made some plays in the fourth quarter. I know Heineke threw a pick six and he threw the ball to the defense four other times. Yeah, but or gave it to the defense four other times, but couple big plays down the stretch that comeback route to uh, Terry McLaurin I want to talk about that in a second but your initial thoughts here 23-21 commanders so I I don't really give Taylor Heineke a ton of credit for, for what he did I thought he played pretty terribly actually and he, he set the stage out very early I think it was a second attempt where he just he's an absolute Ryan Fitzpatrick-esque YOLO out of the back of the end zone in the vague general direction of his receiver. And it's like, look, there is merit, particularly when you're as physically limited as a Taylor Heineke or Ryan Fitzpatrick, arm strength-wise. Heineke's actually a pretty impressive athlete rushing. But but when you don't have the Josh Allen cannon, right, you have to sort of make up for that somewhere else. And, And if you have elite receivers like Terry McLaurin, there's a lot to be said for well, I can't do this much, so I'm going to trust that he can and sort of make up for some of it. So there's something to be said for just even at putting it in the air and letting that guy go make a play. But I mean, the, the touchdown to McLaurin was a dime. Yeah, but it's a narrow line between, like, give the guy a chance to make a play and being 
reckless as hell with the football. And I, at least in this game, I think Heineke was the wrong side of that line, even though actually it was those plays that ended up helping him out late in the game and winning. So the net of it ended up being just enough, but I think that was more down to Green Bay just being bad than it was Heineke finding the right balance there. I thought, that, listen, Heineke, he had the pick six. Devondre Campbell with an outstanding play for the pick six. Yeah. That was one. Couple other passes were behind receivers. Heineke also he got away with one that was negated by penalty, where he was just scrambling around. Rashawn Gary strips him from behind. That would have been another defensive touchdown, but it was negated by penalty. So there was definitely some some carelessness with the football by Taylor Heineke. But the two big plays were hitting McLaurin for a 37-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter, hit him in stride, and then with the game on the line, hits the comeback route to McLaurin and. You might describe it as just throwing it up and it was a prayer. Mm -hmm. I would describe it as trusting his receiver, throwing it early, and putting it to a great spot. But if you go back and watch the play, McLaurin's not even close to out of his break yet, and he has to work back. Yeah, he's also not even in. That's why it's not a good play. But it's an. But you know, but that's like if Peyton Manning did it, you'd be like, oh, look at the practice reps he puts in with Marvin Harrison. You have. This was a timing thing. This it was a timing thing. It was timing and location, and McLaurin works back to the spot to catch it to seal the deal for the Commanders. Required. Look, it might have only been two good plays that Heineke made the entire game, but they were two good plays, and they were in crunch time, and that was a big part of the reason. The commanders won. He threw a ball towards Jair Alexander, who Jair Alexander's not going to end up with a good grade in this game because he got beaten by McLaren a few times, but he was actually making some real plays and has been for the last couple of weeks. Like he made a couple of good plays in coverage. He also made a really nice hit um, in the run game. I think it was a run in the flat to, for a big defensive stop against uh, Brian Robinson, I think. Like he's been playing really well. So he's back to being one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. You're throwing a ball into his coverage at the sideline where he has position at this point. And it relied on McLaren muscling his way back through the corner to end up getting there first and making that play. Great Again, there's a fine line between trusting your guy to make a play and just being careless with the ball and hoping you end up getting lucky. I just think that's more lucky than good. Anyway, that was what sealed the deal for Washington. Um, Packers, they, they controlled the game as far as having the ball because the Packers' offense just had no rhythm whatsoever. Aaron Jones only gets eight carries. They, they finished with 12 carries for 38 yards, Green Bay. So Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, between the two of them, didn't have a longer run than eight. And Packers have five drops offensively. There's, there's just no rhythm. Aaron Jones offense. is their best wide receiver. And Aaron Jones is a running back. Yeah. That's not great. I mean, you also have, like, in the comeback attempt before... Before Rodgers, did he have a... Oh, no, they just... They, before, they were, they were trying to set up a Hail Mary attempt, and then they just dumped it off the last play, but... I mean... They came so close to the rugby, the magic. They tried. They they yeah. got really close. So sometimes in rugby, you end up in a position where you're in a, you're in a great position, right? You've, you've manufactured the overlap. You've got a guy in space out wide. He's There's nobody there, but it's a prop, you know? It's a big... 300 pound front row who doesn't have the hands doesn't have the speed and it goes nowhere that's what happened with the Packers they actually manufactured the guy on the on the sideline in space only it turns out it was like an offensive lineman and he just couldn't even catch the ball let alone then run down the sideline with it so close to the dream rugby play at the end um Green Bay also so they got David Bakhtiari back a couple of weeks ago he's been rotating back in working his way back and then 
apparently had knee soreness and got shut down before the game in the same knee that they that he had you know he'd had the surgery on that's not a good sign so all of a sudden they've got Zach Tom the rookie at left tackle Elton Jenkins moved into left guard Josh Nyman was at right tackle like complete reshuffle of that Green Bay offensive line which actually did fine in pass protection against a, a good defensive line from Washington, a, a line that can get pressure, but that's not helping the whole situation um, of what they're dealing with. And then they just, yeah, they just couldn't get anything done because nobody's capable of winning. Yeah, that's what, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think if you look at how the the non skill game, skill position players played for the Packers, it was pretty good. Like they they rushed the passer extremely well. Taylor Heineke was under a ton of pressure. Um, they also it was a handful it was a handful of plays here and there for the Packers defense that that went sour. But they were rushing the passer well. They protected well. It's really Rodgers and his receivers. Every time they start moving the ball, there's a drop or there's a missed throw. Sammy Watkins was in here, you know, was was back. He had two catches. One of them was through a defender's hands on that last play to set up the mm-hmm. the rugby play. I mean, it's just. There's just nothing happening offensively for this Packer, for the Packers. They changed it up on defense, and I don't know if this is a product of facing Taylor Heineke, but they ran a ton more man coverage in this game than they run before. Um, they were like 50-plus percent in either cover one or cover three this week. Over the course of the season, that number is 20%. So they, upped, they more than doubled the rate that they run man coverage essentially in this game. Now, if I was facing Taylor Heineke, I'd definitely think about that as well. Just get physical with his receivers, try and take away anything he wants to do quickly and force him to make those kind of YOLO passes. Um, but I also think that's something that this, this defense should be doing more of anyway. They have they have the, the corners to do it. Right. So it, maybe this is you know an indication of something that's to come that this Green Bay defense is actually going to get somewhere closer to what we thought it would be at the start of the season if they get more aggressive and more diverse on the back end. Um, every now and again, Terry, Mc- Terry McLaurin just reminds you how special he he is. I thought, you know, the acceleration to get to that touchdown and the comeback route that we're talking about, he was fantastic. And it, again, another one of those games where because Green Bay was so disjointed on offense, Washington just committed to the run game, and you've got Brian Robinson over twenty car- uh, with twenty carries. Antonio Gibson had ten of his own, and they're just you know chugging along, and they did a good job pretty much controlling the ball and offsetting the fact that the Packers could not sustain drives on uh, on their side. So that the the play to Aaron Jones late in particular showed that Aaron Rodgers is still there. Like as much as oh yeah, I mean he's still capable. He still has big time throws. He rolls out and you're gonna hear today a lot of places we're writing eulogies for Tom Brady for Aaron Rodgers. They're both done. The team stink. You know we're writing these guys off, but we'll get to Brady in a second. But this showed that the MV the back to back MVP Aaron Rodgers still exists. Like if we can get this guy somebody to throw to, who isn't his running back. And even if he is his running back, you know, he can still make these plays. Like, this Green Bay team, I think, is a product of the fact that they have nobody to throw to. And we've said this heading into the year. The trade deadline, it's today, right? Trade deadline? Is it? I think so. This week or next week? I think it's, I think it's today. Anyway, the point is, it's coming up, right? Green Bay desperately needs to make a move for a legitimate receiver. Yeah, no, next, next Tuesday, November 1st. And I'm saying, like, the... 
Chase Claypool isn't getting it done, right? If you actually want to win a Super Bowl this year, if you have any designs whatsoever in coming home with a championship, and as much as you've struggled, the whole NFC generally has been struggling. It's the Eagles who look really good, and then a bunch of teams that have nice records but nobody actually believes in, and then you guys. So the Super Bowl is not gone for Green Bay or Tampa Bay if they can figure their crap out over the course of the season. That can't happen for Green Bay unless they find a number one receiver from somewhere. Maybe that's OBJ. Maybe that's throwing a giant trade offer to Carolina for, you know, DJ Moore. Whatever that looks like, they have to do something because you can't go through the year with this group. Oh, man. Who the, good luck. Good luck with that. Packers 3-4, and four, Commanders 3-4, and four, but uh, still different feeling about that team. You mentioned Brady and the Bucs 21-3 for the second straight week. The the Bucks seemingly upset by a massive underdog. Maybe the Bucks just aren't that good. Yeah. Uh, Panthers twenty-one to three. It was scoreless for a while, but uh, PJ Walker making huge throws. Yeah. In this game, I mean, he was dropping dimes left and right. One last point in the Green Bay thing, by the way. Our uh, buddy Ben Fox tweeted that the Packers are currently ten and a half point underdogs against the Buffalo Bills heading into next week. This will be the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career that he's been a double-digit underdog. I mean, even like a touchdown underdog, I don't know if I've seen yeah. any of that. And that's that's just over, watching the Packers over the last couple of weeks. Oh, that's like, what's, that is can what you imagine being them place. now this week? It's like you struggled against the, the you struggled against a bunch of teams we don't think are that good. You just lost to yeah. Washington. Congratulations. Now you got to go play the Bills in Buffalo. I, I mean, the Bucks have a similar situation here. They just they fall to three and four, and they got the Ravens coming to town Thursday night. Yeah, they're at least. The problem that Green Bay is dealing with is that Minnesota, even though they don't look that great, is winning. So Well, nobody they, looks great, right? No, but they're getting put you know, further and further behind the eight ball at the top of that division. Tampa Bay, even if they lose on Thursday, still, ha- you know, still waiting for somebody else to win to go top of that division. Like They are still well in this thing. But this was as depressing and miserable as it's going to get for Tom Brady and the Bucks. They, they just got – Carolina covered the spread by 29 points. They yeah. were supposed to lose this game by double digits, and they ended up winning easily by the end of it. A lot of similarities um, to Pittsburgh game last week where it's, you know, it's close, it's close, and then, you know, a 60-yarder for Deontay Foreman on the ground. Again, P.J. Walker just throwing dimes left and right, the 29-yarder to Tommy Tremble to really seal the deal. But, I mean, this started with Bucks. Tom Brady hits Mike Evans wide open on a post route. Should be a 75-yard touchdown dropped. 65-yard, I think. 65, whatever it was. Yeah, I don't... So this is one of those ones where I don't know how much that changes things. You know, so Tampa Bay, I don't know how many drives they had after this stat came up, but at one point they had one touchdown in 23 drives yeah. consecutively. Um, I don't know if they got any more drives after that, and maybe it's a bigger number now, but that could have been... Could and should have been another touchdown. Like... Mike Evans essentially runs his route, post route. Dante Jackson gets basically shoved over by Mike Evans in the course of the route. Um, is, you know, lying on the floor. At the time the ball arrives, Evans just absolutely drops it. Just the kind of play you don't see Mike Evans make, dropping that ball. That's a touchdown. That gives Tampa Bay a 7-0 lead in a game they're expected to dominate. And maybe they run away and hide and they end up winning this by yeah. two or three scores. Doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, they just can't connect there there's something off and Brady and Evans couldn't get it going they made a few plays over the course of the game but it just wasn't working for the Bucks again and you know Carolina was making good plays on defense they stuffed a fourth and one 
uh, toss play on their 25. So Tampa Bay was getting into Carolina territory and being forced to try and convert these fourth downs. Couldn't get it done. I, as an aside, I hate toss plays on fourth and one. Well, let me tell you what. I mean, I've, here's what's happened over the last couple of weeks. The Bucks on third and they can't convert anything on third and one. Yeah. They run their duo play all the time, which is which just is, and it's which never is straight been up easier. The but last week they 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 resorted to the toss on fourth and one because because the remember I mentioned a couple of weeks ago like you should never short yardage shouldn't be overcomplicated if you have a quarterback that can run the QB sneak. Brady actually failed at the QB sneak last week too, mm. so the sneak wasn't working. They don't run up the middle all that well. But also like, last week the toss play actually worked, but this week. Yeah. Stuffed on third and one, then stuffed on the toss play. It's on never been easier to convert fourth, third and fourth and one. We're seeing what everybody else is doing with these rugby plays, you know, forming the mall, driving it over the line. You, no, know? you can't push Tom. He's too old. Don't do not do Tom then, right? Get someone else. Get somebody else. Line up the fullback and have Lenny charge into him yeah. from behind and drive him over the line. Like, this is not tricky. The, the rest of the league is converting these without even thinking about it now. And Tampa Bay can't do it up the middle. And they're running these toss plays, which people are ready for now, and stuffing it. The, like, entire, the entire rhythm of the offense is off. with uh, Because Brady's only attempted, I think, only one sneak all year anyway. And it failed. Right? It used to be, okay, in short yardage, you're going to convert there. I mean, everything's going wrong for the Bucs, right? You mentioned the, the Evans drop touchdown. They convert a third and short. It gets negated by an illegal formation. You get stuffed on third and fourth and one trying to run the ball. Uh, when Mike Evans is open, Brady's overthrowing him. Like, yeah, everything it's a disaster. is off. And unlike Green Bay, you can't just say, well, they're, they're bad in this one particular area of personnel. Like, it's not... This is not a personnel problem for Tampa Bay, which isn't to say they have perfect personnel, but... The the sum of the parts doesn't add up to this. Like, that's their problem right now. This is a different issue to we just don't have the horses to get it done. You could, I mean, you could tell the Bucks trying to respond to last week when they, they had no explosive plays or few explosive plays against the Steelers saying, okay, we're going to get Mike Evans involved early. He had 15 targets. He ended up with nine catches for 96 yards. There were times where him and Brady found a rhythm, but things just kept stalling in the red zone. Chris mm-hmm. Godwin... He had a negated catch as well, but seven catches for 43 yards. I mean, Chris Godwin should be more of a big play threat too, and he's just this underneath receiver. Brady's not taking enough chances probably throwing the ball down the field. And um, I want to say that they miss Gronk. Who wouldn't? But you do have rookie Kate Otten making some plays there too. Russell Gage may be disappointing as a, as a free agent pickup, but trying to figure out what's wrong with the Bucs, it just feels like everything. Run blocking receivers big plays brady's inconsistent his he, he'll go back and forth between throwing a dime up the seam which he made a few nice ones to just missing throws yeah. so everything is just inconsistent and off for the bucks and i don't know how it gets like they you're talking about the packers like they got to go make a trade and that might spur aaron Rodgers to be more productive for the bucks all their pieces are there they have to figure out how to make the pieces work I don't know if Julio Jones ever brings anything to the table at any point this season, but the Bucs have to figure it out with what they have. The only now. good news for Tampa Bay is that is what we just talked about. They're still right there in the division. Nobody is going to go and run right. away with this division. No, you know, they're not going to be in a situation where they lose a couple of games and they're out of the picture and they've just got no shot of making the playoffs. This is a team that is going to be in the playoff picture right until the end of the year. And if they can just get it figured out over the next you know, however many weeks, they've got a shot. The, the difference between that and Green Bay is, 
Like, I don't see how Green Bay can figure it out without wide receivers. Tampa Bay, you look at what they have, they have an offensive line that's fine. They have a quarterback that's good. They have wide receivers that are good. There's no reason this can't work. It just isn't right now. But they're going to have time. Now we need to talk about the magnificence that was PJ in this game. Do it. I am on record as not being a PJ believer. I do not believe that P.J. Walker is a very good quarterback. That being said, P.J. Walker was insanely good in this game and apparently is the only quarterback in the NFL that knows how to deal with, like, too high coverage looks. You know, middle of the field closed, nah, not when P.J.'s there. Boom, dime, touchdown. Like, he was hitting throws that nobody else has been hitting this year. Like, they, teams are running these split safety looks. They're taking away specific deep route concepts with the alignment of those players. He was just looking at that and going, I can still get it there. Like his touchdown to DJ Moore by design, like you draw that up on the whiteboard, that's a play that isn't there. They've taken it away. By coverage, that shouldn't be there. And, and, and he just went, no, nah, I'm going to put it there anyway. I'm going to put it at the back of the end zone. DJ Moore will get there. The DB won't touchdown. Um, he was just dropping these like beautiful zone splitting hole shots all day long. He ended up with six big time throws or something in the game. Okay, look, you look at his. Um, Numbers. It's like 177 yards. It's, it doesn't. I mean, one of them's DJ Moore right along the sideline. He put it in a yeah. perfect spot. More just out of bounds. But his numbers don't look great. Um, Terrace Marshall screwed him out of one pretty decent gain, 30 something yards early in the game. Um, he put it right on him, and Marshall didn't come up with it. But he was just making plays all the way through that game. That was really impressive. That's the best I've seen PJ Walker play ever. In, yeah, in not just he had shown like little spurts here yeah. and there, but this was not really just the NFL, game. but like college XFL and NFL. That's PJ Walker's best ever game. And by the way, we talked about how the the joke of an offense they had last week, where nothing was beyond the line of scrimmage. This was like a different, a totally different offense. Like Absolutely. they were taking shots downfield. The con- the the route combinations were pushing downfield. They were attacking spaces in zone. I don't know what the hell happened over the last week in Carolina, but this was a seismic shift. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com PFF couple more one o'clock games we had Dak returning Dallas Cowboys 24 Detroit Lions six Lions coming off the bye week they've now scored six points in their last two games after tearing the league apart in the first few weeks Jared Goff how many times have we had these these stat lines over the last couple weeks Jared Goff has five incompletions 21 of 26 but five sacks and two interceptions so of those two three five incompletions two or two are picked and he has as many sacks as incompletions in this one. Dak, he threw a couple into coverage as well. No interceptions there, but the run game was solid in Dallas defense. You know, just uh, tore, tore it up in Goff, the second half, really. Uh, the problem with Goff is, is he's actually reasonably good until the turnovers, and the turnovers are so bad. Like it's not even, you know, there, there's a gradation of turnovers between, okay, that was just slightly inaccurate, and this is what happens when you throw the ball, you know, slightly behind a receiver where there's a DB trailing and these things happen. And then there are other throws where you're like, 
this was bad from the moment you thought you from the moment your brain conceived of this throw it was a mistake it was then executed badly it was just it was bad at the start it tailed off in the middle and the less said about the end the better it was a train wreck from start to finish these are the interceptions or the turnovers that Jared Goff has that's like it's you need so much good to offset those plays I mean, in this in this game, he he fumbles twice. One, Micah Parsons just absolutely whoops. Yeah, Taylor but like Decker, again, the interception got, was so so know, bad. Why would you ever put that ball in the air? It's just underthrown. But by a mile against a guy who's a ball hawk, it's just it's not. A, it's like it's like the jump ball that uh, Kyler threw to Marquise Brown against Tariq Woolen. It's yeah, like, that's it's not just a, good a bad decision. idea. It's never a good plan. And if you're going to execute that, you have to be perfect to even have a shot at it not going badly. I think the strips, so the first strip sack was, was Sam Williams, and that was one, it's because he's pulling a Russell Wilson, like vacating the yeah. back of the pocket and rolling out. It's like, that's where you have to know that you're Jared, Jared Goff. Goff. Right, I'm not, I, I shouldn't be doing this. So it looks like Sam Williams whoops Panay Sewell. It, it wasn't a bad play by Sam Williams, but it wasn't a necessarily a bad block by Panay Sewell. It's just Jared Goff has depth and... Williams does a great job exploding around the edge and, and, and putting the ball on the ground. Um, and then the other key part here, the Lions, it was 6-3 to three at the half, right? I mean, this was not so, a good offensive game. This is a really good example. Paul Alexander made this um, point on Twitter last night um, that the, there's a design to, these, um, to some of these strip sacks where if you run a stunt – on one side of the defensive line, right? The, the end crashes in, the tackle loops around to the outside to keep contain uh, a little bit, but he's late. So you, you run this stunt, the, the defensive end crashing in essentially causes the quarterback to spin out and head yeah. in that direction. If on the other side of the defensive line, that defensive end deliberately rushes deep in the pocket. Yeah. So way deeper than, you, than the quarterback is going to be unless he's spinning back around and out. That guy ends up in position to chase him down and force a fumble from behind that he never knows is coming. Interesting. He was making the point that the Colts with Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis like made a career out of this. You know, one guy would crash in, the other guy would deliberately run loop and run the arc around the back, and then he'd be waiting for the strip sack after the quarterback is trying to get the hell out of the pocket. If you draw up this play on the or look at this play in the all twenty-two, it's exactly what happens. Defensive end crashes inside a Taylor Decker, Goff spins out and around. And then that's the guy waiting literally right as he does it to just that, snag him from behind. That's interesting, too. I haven't checked on these numbers, but we do, we do track first movement in the pocket by quarterbacks. And Goff in college was always a, uh, a chronic dri- a left drifter. You know, he'd always left drift, drift to, the sa- you know, to the same area. There is something to that, right? So if you're, if you're rushing yeah. from his front side and you know he's going to drift left or gain depth, you're not trying to beat the tackle necessarily. You're trying to... You know, get to a spot like you said where the quarterback isn't normally if he's throwing in rhythm. But um, look, Dallas, Dallas is like that level of special right now with their defense and having these complimentary rushers for Micah Parsons. Parsons will get his and make his plays, but we've talked a ton about their stunts and what they're doing up front and all the attention that Micah Parsons has to get. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot here. By the way, so this game got this game was pretty close. Um, Six three at the half. Yeah, and it got pretty close late. Like, so there was a play, I can't remember when it happened. Um, late in the game, the Lions make a play to uh, TJ Hawkinson, who's running to the end zone, and he ends up getting chased down and stopped at the one-yard line by Michael Parsons. Michael Parsons yeah. chased him down, stops him at the one. The Lions then fumble on the goal line the next play. So this was 
they were down four at that point. They could have taken the lead. In the fourth quarter. Yeah. yeah. So late in the game, they're down four. Hawkinson almost scores a touchdown. Parsons chases him down, makes the difference between scoring and not. And the very next play, they fumble the ball away, and Dallas ends up taking over. Like, those are the plays. Like, the difference. Those hustle plays that we talk about from defenders sometimes, you look at them, you're like, oh, what, what's the difference? He stopped them at the one. They're about to score anyway. It doesn't always happen. And when it doesn't, you just made the difference between, like, that's a – at the minimum, that's a seven-point swing in your direct in your favor, and it's the difference between leading and not leading the game that Micah Parsons made just by the hustle play of chasing down a tight end. Yeah, a fourth quarter fumble at the goal line. I don't know if it was a different play or not. I saw. I think it was um, was it Brett Coleman maybe stealing some video and posting it. But um, <clears throat> you've got some yeah, video. Demarcus Lawrence ends up blowing up like four blocks on one play on mm. the goal line. Beats the tight end, takes out the fullback, gets in the back's way. I mean, little plays like that. It's always fun for us to have these like definitive takes and all that stuff. But like you said, it's really a, a couple plays in this game that that made the difference for Dallas. Yeah. So this is how critical um, that was. Okay. So they weren't down four. They were. They were. Uh, they were up. Dallas was up by eleven at this point. They just had the Zeke Elliott touchdown. But the Lions are are getting that done. Um, Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong play. Let me find that play again. Go find it. Zeke did find the end zone twice. Um, you'll see good rushing grades for both Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. And then I mentioned, um, I thought Dak looked fine physically as far as throwing the ball. There was just a couple a couple times he threw it, brought the safety into it, uh, dangerous throws into coverage. But other than that, um, I thought velocity-wise and everything, Dak looked pretty good. He, he was actually pretty aggressive throwing the ball down the field, averaged up to target over 11 as well so um, Dallas didn't exactly tear it up offensively but I think you could see signs that it's going to be a more explosive passing offense also have that Noah Brown gets knocked over fumble play um, that hurt as well as far as Dallas really nice play Dak to Noah Noah Brown he gets tipped up and uh, and puts the ball on the ground almost near the goal line All right, that's my problem it wasn't Hawkinson it was uh, it was somebody else but yes chasing down da- or Dallas is up by four with 12 and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So if they score in that play, or Brock if they Wright score, play? Yeah, or if they score in the next play, the Lions take the lead in the fourth quarter with the sort of the majority of their failings coming from turnovers. And it's a, it could be a completely different game. But the play by Michael Parsons to chase that guy down, like that changes the, the outcome, really. So there we go. Dallas moves to five and two. The NFC remains loaded. Dallas is five and two and in third place in the NFC East. They should play in the NFC South where third and three and four is good for first. Maybe they can uh, pitch for a change. Petition. They're in the South. I mean, that was the East a couple of years ago. Things go in cycles. So uh, again, Dallas wins. Detroit falls to one and five this season, coming off their bye here. Tennessee Titans 19, Colts 10. Colts fall to 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. I hate saying their record every single week. Mm. Titans move to 4-2. and two. That's four straight for them, right? They started 0-2? Or am uh, I making that up? Could be. Pretty sure that's four in a row for them. Just another classic Titans game. <laughs> Who was the star t- the, uh, uh, this week for the Titans? Who was the star? Who was the star? There was a, every week, it's Andrew Adams this week. Oh, okay. Every week, you know, a couple weeks ago, it was Joe Schobert. Then it was... Um, 
the uh, the pass rusher that used to play for the Ravens. I just lost his name. Um, every week it's a new star for the Titans. Andrew Adams with a pick six in this game. Bud Dupree had some uh, had some good pass rushes in this game too. He had pressure on both of Matt Ryan's interceptions, which again were bad. Um, the Titans have this incredible knack for creating unblocked rushers, which we, yeah. we've said before. But even in four-man rush situations, they have an incredible knack for creating pressure without necessarily relying on guys winning one-on-one. And again, when Matt Ryan has faced pressure this year, it has not gone well. Yeah, I also think there's... So that pick six, the first one to, to Matt Ryan, it was unblocked pressure from Bud Dupree. Um, you know, he Ryan went with his hot read. Wide receiver... It wasn't looking for it. wasn't, I don't know, didn't, didn't seem to be interested in it. I, it. Now, maybe the Titans were there. You know, he was running into what looked like pretty cluttered coverage, and maybe the, the wide receiver is sort of trying to navigate what the hell he's looking at before he figures out where exactly he's going to be and when the ball is going to arrive. But what occurred to me then is that there is, there's value to simply forcing an offense to execute that, you know? Yeah. Like, making sure that you can force them to their hot read and checking it, seeing if the quarterback and the wide receiver are on the same page on that play. If they are, it's going to be successful. It's a problem. Um, But particularly if you can do that and also combine it with having a vague understanding of where their hot route is going to be and getting to cause problems. Even if you're not, you know, you would see this all the time with those old um, zone blitz defenses, right, where you would drop coverage from one side after blitzing from the other and you would essentially drop coverage right into the area that the hot read is supposed to be and either they have to check the pull it down and you get a, a sack or they put it in the air anyway and you've got a guy standing there ready to make the interception this isn't quite that it was more sort of understanding where they're going to go and try and clutter that area with more bodies than you would normally but simply forcing an offense to be on the same page quarterback to wide receiver can cause plays like this, where all of a sudden they're not, and you just have a free interception and get to walk it back. I, I think it's a great point, Sam. And I, the only thing I would add to it is, especially with quarterbacks in new systems, I think there's more to that as well. Because rem- like remember when when Brady was a couple of years ago with the Bucks, for years you say, well, don't blitz Tom Brady. It's like, well, that's fine. He was in New England system where he knew every outlet like the back of his hand, right? Yeah. Even even Tom Brady going to the he's in a new system where it's not just him yeah beating the blitz is about the receiver being on the same page so I know we're seven weeks into this thing and it's not new new but it's new enough like we're talking about reps right quarterback reps where you just know where your guys are going to be and it's still somewhat early for Ryan in the Colts or Russell Wilson in the Broncos or whoever you know whatever the you know the new systems and quarterback combinations around the league so yeah I like that as a concept especially against teams that haven't necessarily mastered that yet yeah the the titans are really good at scheming up that uh pressure and they they've been able to get a lot of pressure from a group of guys that aren't great pass rushers with the exception of jeffrey simmons but dupree had seven pressures in this game um you know some of them were two of them were unblocked one of them was a cleanup play but there were some wins in there as well they got multiple pressures out of David Long, out of um, DeMarcus Walker, out of Rashad Weaver, uh, Jeffrey Simmons. Like, they, a stable of guys were able to get pressure consistently. Now, a lot of this is, look who they're playing. The Colts, their offensive line is an absolute disaster. They did what I told them to do last week. They started Dennis Daly at left tackle. Maybe it was better than Bernard Ryman, but if it was, it was marginal. (laughs) Like, Dennis Daly didn't play great. Um, 
Aaron Brewer didn't have a good game. Ben Jones didn't have a good Dennis game. Kelly? Sorry, Dennis Kelly. Dennis Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Dennis. yeah Bud, Bud bull rushed him into Matt Ryan for the other interception as well. Yeah, so I'm reading, I'm reading Titans offensive line as well. Ryan Kelly didn't have a good game. Dennis Kelly didn't have a good game. Matt Pryor didn't have a good game. The offensive line for the Colts was basically Quentin Nelson actually having a good game, which hasn't yeah. necessarily been the case for this year. Braden Smith had a decent game on a right tackle, but their offensive line is still a disaster. Yeah, so they... Um... And Matt Ryan, by the way, is not capable of making the plays that he used to be able to make when the offensive line was in trouble. Like that first interception, Ryan and the receiver aren't on the same page. It's a breakdown. It's not necessarily Ryan's fault, even if, you know. But there's pass protection issues. Everything was But the second one, it's like, all right, the pass protection's breaking down. Ryan's sort of trying to make play out of it. And he just sort of fires the ball into a tight window in coverage. And it's like, you can't make that play anymore, if you ever could. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor made his return for the Colts offense, 10 carries for 58 yards. Um, I'm usually not an advocate here of uh, run the ball more. Yeah. But I do think given... But run the ball more? Yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan dropped back 60 times last week. And I know it worked. They scored a lot of points against the Jags and maybe found some life. But I think the, the reason why teams don't want to drop the back 50 times a, a week or a, a game is because of pass protection breakdowns and you don't trust your offensive line and Matt Ryan's not good under pressure and it's just there's a lot of pressure on the quarterback I think the Colts probably need to get back to you know a Matt Ryan 35 attempt game rather than 44 or 60. Yeah I just I don't know how you fix an offensive line that's as bad as theirs is right now um I think they ranked dead last in PFF's offensive line rankings last week. And everything. This didn't do a ton to improve that. Yeah, Derrick Henry looking a lot more like Derrick Henry this week than he had in the past. What did you make of the Titans tried to get tricky with Malik Willis? Malik Willis. So, yeah, there's a Malik Willis fourth quarter. I think think Tannehill technically gets the fumble. I didn't check the box score because he didn't get credit with it. But they had Malik Willis on the jet sweep. Yeah. And he fumbles it in yeah. the fourth quarter to uh, to Turn give the, the Colts seven. a glimmer of uh, of hope there. I mean, that was a really situationally that's a, a fumble turnover when they're up seven. Like that's yeah, that's a potential game changer. So it's interesting because I'm all for the creativity aspect. The the Seahawks had something with um, D. Estridge, right, where they mm. just put him in the backfield and he, and he just dropped the drops toss. A, drops a pitch. I mean, it's do you. Do you have to be so risk averse that you're like, hey, Malik Willis isn't used to taking a jet sweep handoff and a D. Estridge is a wide receiver and we love the concept of a receiver in the backfield. However, he's just not used to the ball handling, right? It, but you're not yeah. used to catching the ball or taking the handoff. Is that too risky for what the payout So there's be? two differences to me. Number one is D. Estridge could spend the entire week practicing that play and doing nothing else. You know, for the amount they've been using him in the offense, like you're, you could practice that all week and have no downside. You're over there with the kickers practicing catching pitches. Malik Willis, in theory, should be doing something else with his time, right? True. And I don't know if you're spending the entire week practicing him taking a jet sweep handoff. If you are, that's probably not great for his development. Number two, uh, D. Eskrich is a wide receiver. He should be able to catch a pitch out of the back. Like, you know, that should be within his range of default skill sets. There's a difference between that and taking a jet sweep handoff. There is. And that, like, that's an actual technique that you need to practice at some point to get that right. So I, D. Eskridge, in theory, should be able to just go into the backfield, do that play with no practice slash change of what he's doing, and it should just be there. Whereas the Malik Willis thing, that's something you actually need to practice to make sure that's not going to go wrong the way it did. 
and I don't know if you want to waste slash dedicate that time to it. That, to me, is where, like, I'm all for the jet sweep creativity, et cetera. I'm just not sure Malik Willis is the guy you want doing it. Yeah, that did not uh, did not go well. Gave the Colts a little bit of hope, but not enough. 19-10, to 10, Titans win. Classic Titans win because... You know how like uh, Sunday Night Football does like the stars of the game or whatever. I, I want we should have a running tally of the Titans stars of the game, particularly on on defense. Joe <laughs> Schobert, Danico Autry, randoms. Danico Autry is who I was thinking of. Autry, Andrew Adams. Who's the star in any given week? This week it's Andrew Adams. All right, let's get to the four o'clock games here. New York Jets. They move to five and two, 16 to nine win over the Denver Broncos. Russell Wilson. It's a real injury, Sam. He had the hamstring. He's out. Real pain. Real pain. He's going to probably miss next week as well in London against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Brett Rippon gets the start. Didn't go much better offensively for the Broncos. And, um, I mean, it wasn't much better for the Jets offensively either. Brees Hall, 62-yard touchdown, unfortunately goes down with a knee injury. Mm. He's out. He was the he was, That was it offensively as far as the Jets go. 16-9 to nine here. There were so many Broncos. injuries yesterday. Yeah. Some of them seem like they're not going to be long-term things, but the Brees Hall one uh, sounded pretty bad, which is – massively unfortunate he was ruled out pretty quickly yeah there's a couple of players that that happened and it's usually always a bad idea a bad sign he was again playing really well at the start of this game he'd been looking really good the last few weeks he was also the centerpiece of this offense while they've had zach wilson back at quarterback they've been leaning on that run game um michael carter made a couple of nice plays but he's not Brees hall and like if they if they have to turn back to the quarterback and try and get this done through the air again like zach wilson didn't play well in this game um and zach wilson not playing well also hampers a bunch of their other best players like garrett wilson four catches for 25 yards garrett wilson looked unstoppable earlier in the season when joe flacco was just heaving it around the, the yard um I, I might have to take the l on denzel mims the elijah moore you know, some tension there. He wants out. He's unhappy. He's basically been neutered the same way the rest of the offense has with Zach Wilson at quarterback. He's he doesn't he just wants out. So he demanded to be traded. They got annoyed with the way he did it. They sat him down. He wasn't playing this game. Denzel Mims gets the opportunity to get some playing time and drop. It's yeah. Like, God damn it, Denzel. So the Denzel Mims thing doesn't look like it's going to work out. Drop yeah. on two targets. Yeah. From Mims. Elijah Moore should be good, man. He should be able to help. I think he would be, but offense. again, like he just appears to have been more upset than other people at what has happened to this passing offense with Zach Wilson coming in versus Joe Flacco. Like Flacco wasn't necessarily playing particularly well, but he was productive just in terms of volume, right? And there are wide receivers that only really care about that. Like I just I don't care what happens generally to the rest of this offense, but I want six targets a game. You know, I want to be able to make some plays. I want to feel like I'm helping. Whereas if you're out here, you're getting like two targets, even if you're winning. It's like, I, I, I don't feel like I did anything. Look, Zach Wilson has not looked good the last couple of weeks. I know the Jets have won, but Packers defense overall this year has been difficult to pass against. Um, they were yesterday again, uh, other than a couple plays that we highlighted for Taylor Heineke. And this Broncos defense has been outstanding mm -hmm. this year. So Wilson, uh, two poor grades the last couple of weeks. It just, it, it kind of looks like last year, these last couple yeah. weeks. But he ha he showed signs of life against the Steelers and against the Dolphins early in the year. Let's see what happens when maybe the Jets don't play as good of a pass defense. I'm not that's not like a pass for Zach Wilson, but I think that's that's part of the story these last it's couple also weeks. Like it's you know an average depth of target of 4.8 yards. Like at least Brett Rippon went down swinging. 
not necessarily well, but you know what I mean? Like I would prefer yeah, just chucking it up to sauce. I'm not saying I would prefer to lose playing the way he played than to win playing the way Wilson played. But like, if you're going to struggle, I would at least like to see the quarterback trying to make some plays while he's doing it. Um, like Wilson just doesn't. And the sacks he's taken are the bad ones from a year ago. It's yeah. not good. Now, He's another guy. He had dealing. the one where he stumbled out and tried to toss the ball to the defense. Yeah, and that looked that dude, wasn't good. Terrible. Like again, another player dealing with some problems on the offensive line. Uh, I think Elijah Vera Tucker went down, and got hurt. That's going to cause another reshuffle. And every time they reshuffle, it only gets worse. So, like the the Jets were supposed to have a top ten offensive line this season. It's been bottom five for most of the year. Um, and yeah, the, uneven they, play from the guys that are there. Guys, the tension just got worse. So yeah. that isn't helping him. But yeah, you, you would really like. I mean, I was thinking yesterday, like, how insane would it be if Davis Mills wound up being the best quarterback from one of the best quarterback drafts we've ever seen? Which is not entirely unreasonable to say at this point. Like, who is an obviously better quarterback from that class than Davis Mills right now? The only one that's even in the conversation so far, Mac is Jones Mac Jones. Is yeah. And Mac Jones is being talked about as under pressure from Bailey Zappi. So, like, Davis Mills might end up being that guy. Though. That's all manufactured. Anyway, Jets' defense was dominant. Um, <clears throat> Sauce Gardner's going to come away with another awesome grade. DJ Reed, so both corners. Uh, another good game from Quinn and Williams up front. If I was uh, quibbling the just keep taking shots approach of Brett Rippon, I would say maybe stop throwing at Sauce deep down the field. Man, four for ten when targeting him for sixteen yards. Three, uh, three forced incompletions again by Sauce Gardner. Did you think he got away with some uh, little jersey tugging at the catch point a couple times? Uh, there was one play in particular where um, I think it was, I think it was illegal contact slash pass interference. Particularly in this year where they were supposed to be emphasizing illegal contact. Yeah. Um, it, they were like, oh, the, the officials determined the contact was going both ways. I was like, well. It only went both ways because the receiver was trying to get the corner from, to stop mugging him. I mean, look, I, I, for one, am glad that they're not overemphasizing illegal contact as much as I thought they would. That that the game flow sure. of it's third and 22 and it's like, here's a little five-yard penalty because he yeah. hit him at six yards. That drives me nuts. No, I agree. I Like, I would generally prefer them to let them play in those scenarios, but there's always a line. Like, and it, so... Where Sauce reminds me a lot of Richard Sherman, which is a comp that you'll see, I think, reasonably often, is, again, Sherman had this thing earlier in his career, it was basically impossible to complete a deep ball on Richard Sherman. I was going to say the same thing. Because yeah. he's got the length, he's yeah. got the size, he's got the physicality, and he, even if you could run past him, which Sauce has an advantage over, like he's faster than Sherman is, yeah. but even if you could run past him, he would never let you get that clean release. He would always maintain contact, so you never got a clean ability to do it. So the, the pass... If you were taking that shot, the pass needed to be perfect or he was going to end up making a play on it. Sauce has the same thing, and yet Brett Rippon kept heaving it. But, like, I don't think you can look at those plays where both players are, are engaging in hand fighting, quote-unquote, and say, well, it's 50-50. Yeah, but you have to look at how that started. Like, you can't say, well, the receiver's trying to give it back, so it's just let him play. Like, the only reason he's doing that is because he's been mugged for the last 10 yards by the corner, and he's trying to disengage. Like, that isn't, this isn't an even thing here. This is one guy is committing a penalty, and the other guy is trying to stop it from happening. 
that should be a penalty on the DB. I, I don't think it's one of those things like when you when you're like on an NFL sideline, you realize how fast and physical the game is. Yeah, I don't think TV even truly captures like the NBA is is similar. They you don't it doesn't capture the physicality. Um, NBA player taking it to the hole, the physicality of playing through contact with a with strong dudes right around you, the physicality that a receiver needs just to win at the catch point against a, a cornerback. And I'm not just talking about contested catches. I'm talking about coming out of your break and all that stuff. Like you have, like yesterday, Chase Claypool gets like tapped in the leg, it looked like. Yeah. Maybe his, the legs got tangled up, but he falls over, right? Like you need some legitimate play strength. And what Sauce is bringing to the table here is as a, as a receiver, you need to have some play strength because he is long He's physical, and the Sherman comp that you mentioned, because we're, we're going to throw Sherman comps everywhere. Tariq Woolen in Seattle, Sherman, because he's in Seattle and he's huge. But Sauce is probably a, a better proxy for Richard Sherman for the ways that you outlined. And there was a point in Sherman's career where you just said, I'm legitimately not throwing it deep. I can't do this yeah. anymore. I can't throw go balls against Sherman. But you take your shiftier receivers and you try to get one-on-ones sure. with him and make a move laterally. Like, you have to do that with Sauce Gardner now. I think he's at the point where it is a do not throw deep on this guy yeah. type of but situation. The other area where I think it's a good comp to Sherman is that I think Sauce is going to play the game in a way where he dictates where the line of physicality is. He dictates where the penalties yeah. are. Because the Seahawks definitely did this during the Legion of Boom days where they said, you can't throw a flag on every play. Like if we decide we're going to show up today yeah. and we are going to get more physical than any other DBs in this league, you can't throw defensive pass interference or illegal contact every single play if there is some, right? So you essentially change the line. Like in a normal game, this would be illegal contact every single play. But if you're going to do it every play, the officials can't go, I mean, this is a flag. So they have to, they basically move their own line and go, well, we're only going to throw the really egregious ones. I, there's, I think that's a strategy that can work as a DB. And I think Sauce will play that way, where he's going to get more physical than the average corner and force the officials to adapt the way they're going to throw those flags. So I suspect if it was a different corner, that's the kind of play that would be pass interference. But because it's Sauce and he does that like most plays, it isn't. He can get away with it. He now has seven forced incompletions over the last two weeks, 11 on the year, just seven weeks into the season. We were excited about that draft pick for the Jets saying, hey, you got take the corner over the edge defenders. They still ended up getting Jermaine Johnson later. But part of that reason is you just you just see the impact when you hit. You know, like the Derek Singley hasn't necessarily hit yet for the Texans. When you hit on that corner, the trickle-down effect to the rest of the defense is huge. And look, the Jets have improved. DJ Reed has been fantastic on the other side. They have improved greatly across the board. But Sauce Gardner at pick number four is an absolute home run because of what it does for the rest they've gone, of that Jets defense. They've gone from the worst cornerback group in the NFL to arguably, what, the second best duo in the league right now behind the Eagles pairing yep. with two moves. So Oscar Gardner at the top of the drive, DJ Reed in free agency, who was fantastic yesterday, had an absolute drill of a hit against um, Jerry Judy. Uh, the combination of Sauce Gardner and Patrick Sertan the second gave up 28 yards yesterday, despite being targeted. Good young corners, man. Like, we we're, we've been we've been fighting for who who's the next Sherman Revis and Chris Harris, really, like the guys that really dominated the last decade. We might have some nice young corners that are going to be uh, who's in the that comp for Sertan. 
So I think Sherman isn't a bad comp for Sauce Gardner, the way they play. Physical, you can't throw deep on them. Who's the comp for Sertan? Who's the most dependable? Technically sound, movement plus skills, and doesn't get beat uh, on anything deep. And, and probably won't be as flashy, right? Like, he's not going to be yeah. as flashy as some of these other guys. Give it, give it some time here. Because it's not Revis, who is the other sort of elite Re- corner. I, I honestly era. think Revis is in, a, is in a different world as yeah. the rest of them. But he's not, but even Sherman. Y- y- but you get to that kind of era, and you're like, well, Sherman, Revis, Patrick Peterson. It, it's not... It's not... Um, it's not Peterson. It's not Revis. It's not Peterson. Ben? <laughs> ben, you're watching. He doesn't have time to come up with cornerback comps. Oh, of course. So ben, ben finds time. Finds time. Who is the best corner of that? Well, it's not even the best. It's a very, like, Sertan plays the game in is a very like peak Stephon Gilmore way. the last couple of years? No. I don't know. Anyway, we'll figure that out. Maybe for the Wednesday show, we'll come up with a Patrick. Let us know in the chat your best Patrick Sertan comp while you hit the thumbs up button. Maybe it's so uh, go viral. Maybe it's Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Look at you. Same, same helmet scouting. Same helmet scouting. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Washington, Champ Bailey. Oh, okay. That, that changes everything. Who's Clinton Portis? Trade him head up. Let's trade Josh Jacobs for uh, Patrick Sertan straight up. Well, Clinton Portis is, um, is Christian McCaffrey. Well, there you go. Las Vegas, 38. The Raiders move to 2-4, and 38-20 over the Houston Texans. Speaking of running backs going off, Josh Jacobs is just on a mission. Three touchdowns, 143 yards, running hard. It felt like the Chiefs game a couple weeks ago, the Raiders may have found their offensive identity. Maybe the Broncos game a couple, uh, the week before that. Run, run, play action coming off of that. Create some chunk plays in the pass game. We're starting to see this, this really... Coming into uh, the Raiders offense, coming into their own, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, a big part of it has been Josh Jacobs, who's playing out of his mind right now. He is um, running so hard, man. He's always graded extremely well for us. Like, he forces missed tackles at a rate that maybe no other running back in the NFL can match. Damian Pierce has given it a good shot, though, in his first year. Jacobs is going more places with it. Yeah, but he's always uh, forced a ton of missed tackles. Like, he's always been extremely good at that. And unlike some running backs who can do that and don't really go forwards when they're breaking them, Josh Jacobs does. He's really impressive. Um, gets a ton of got, – got a ton of yardage in this one as well. Had a bunch of first downs. Like, he is the thing driving this offense forward right now. And then, you know, Derek Carr has been playing better, hasn't been putting the ball in harm's way as much. Remember, he was leading the NFL in turnover-worthy plays over the first couple of weeks. He, he's cleaned that up. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, they're, they're a power run team where Carr's going to take his shot plays. It wasn't so much shot plays yesterday, but there was just, you know, yards after the catch, and there, there were big plays coming out, uh, coming in the pass game on short stuff. But, yeah, I just like the way the, the Raiders are moving the ball right now, and Jacobs looks fantastic. They're 2-4, and four, but more of a, you know, dangerous 2-4, I'd say the Raiders. They're a tough team. Now, yeah. the Texans are the Texans. I don't think they're great. Davis Mills, again... Played all right, throws an interception late, trying to make the comeback. But I think Vegas is just uh, just really finding their stride offensively. Texans defense has been a little disappointing, particularly with the pass rush. You know, they have a collection of players that none of them are great, but should be able to get pressure, and they're not at the moment. Like even Jerry Hughes is not really getting hit or miss. Yeah. And look, he's he's old as hell at this point. Like Jerry Hughes should be slowing down, but it's not really happening at the moment. So. Houston's defense, I think, should be better than we're seeing right now. But 
flipping back to the the offensive side, like Davis Mills, it feels a little bit like Jared Goff at the moment, where it's good right up until the point you want to praise him, and then he does something bad. Yeah. It's like, God, if he just just didn't do that, I'd be right there with saying he's going to be good. Um, and then going to the rate, well, you're right with Mills. I also think. Mills in a combat so his average depth of targets just 5.3 I think he's settling into this conservative take what's their type of quarterback yeah he forced the one to Daron Harmon for the mm-hmm. bad interception but like you're that you're making a comeback right you're gonna you're gonna have some of those plays but again it was Goffian and like it was never there it was never there I get it I'm just saying Mills Mills is He's got a good. He's got a decent enough arm. He's at, he's been pretty accurate throwing the ball down the field. He might be that next guy that I'm saying, hey, just take some more chances. Be a little bit more aggressive down the field. He's got touch. Like Mills does a lot of things pretty well. Um, but you're, like you're saying, there are some of those poor decisions. The uh... Carr, by the way, had 13. So we, we early in the season we talked about the Raiders' offensive line trouble in pass protection. We saw that early. 13 of his 28 dropbacks used play action. This is. That's what I'm talking about, like with this groove. If Josh Jacobs keeps running the ball at seven yards a pop, not that he will the whole time, but sure. you know, creating big, big plays, play action game, relying on that, that'll help protect the offensive line. I think that's a big part of the Raiders being more explosive offensively. The uh, pick six from Davis Mills to Deron Harmon. <laughs> this has happened a few times in recent weeks. Offensive linemen never look less athletic than when they're trying to dive to make a tackle. Yeah, there's something about you know the way like when you try to dunk now. You just don't go up, you know? You, you just keep going straight. Like when, when Schefter did the Lambo leap, and he sort of ran, 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 and went to jump, and he just didn't get off the ground. He just went forwards into the wall. That's what offensive linemen look like when they try and make this diving tackle. They're like, run, 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 and they're like, oh, I'm going to have to dive to make this. They just they don't go up. They just, they just go – it's like something, you know, like if a car or a train where it drives off a cliff, and it just goes – just a nice, lovely yeah. little arc downwards. Just gravity doing its work. That's, that's what you see. You're working Gra- off old film. Gravity just making an impact on 330 pounds of Laramie Tunsil. It's just, you can't, you can't fight physics. You're working off old film. You, you? Seen, you have not seen me. You tell me you got more hops recently? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'm more explosive than I was two years ago. What do you think your vertical is right now? <laughs> I'd say weak to quite weak. I would like in, it's in, not the uh, 32 that I once owned. No. Do you... Let's see, I, I had a 30... I think I had a 32 when I... You got to learn how to set your scapula properly when they yeah. test your test your arm length. Uh-huh. And with when with that little cheat, it was a 32-inch vertical 10 years ago. What's the worst vertical that's ever been recorded at the Combine? Was it Orlando Brown? Could be. He had like a 20, 22 or something like yeah. that. Would you clear two feet in vertical? Oh, no. I think yeah. no. Because I would start the offseason at like when your body's hurting at like 26, 27, and then work my way up oh. to 30, 31. Yeah. Well, then you're talking. This is what I'm saying. Like, you got like a foot in you. Athleticism isn't like it's a, it's a continuum. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you can be at different spots in your athleticism. <laughs> Just like when you throw this weekend, we don't know where your velocity, which part of the continuum are you with velocity? Like one day you could be a 62 guy, the next day you could be, you know, 52. Yeah. Especially, uh-huh. you know, as a, as a non throwing, non athlete like you are right now. Non throwing, non athlete. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a continuum. It's not this thing. That's why, like, the combine, I'll go, he's a 4'3 he's a guy. I, I tweeted that I got myself a throwing coach, and by that I mean a ball with some 
some pictures on it that shows you how to hold it. Yeah, how's that going? Well, so somebody tweeted, they're like, the whole point, you're, you're cheating, essentially. The whole point of this was no practice. Like, I, I haven't practiced with this ball. Like, this is so that when we get there on Friday, I can use the picture to hold it in the correct way because God knows you're not going to be coaching me, right? <laughs> I have been out to throw on one single occasion to just get a ballpark of where we were. Are the Reds going to supply it. us some nice Major League Baseballs? No, I think you're going to have to bring your bucket of used I'll bring the cast-offs. All right. Look at me. I get to, maybe I'll, but yeah, just I'll chuck it on the For the record, I'm too. not out there like every every evening, you know, grinding to try and improve the velocity. I've been out once just to find out where we are, and then the next time I throw will be on Friday. You should you should put some practice time into it. No, because I think the guy's right. It, the whole point was that I can go out there tomorrow and throw 60. Okay. I, I still think that's true. We'll see you on, uh, on Friday. Seattle Seahawks 37, Los Angeles Chargers 23. The Seahawks take a commanding lead in the NFC West. They're now in first place at four and three. Chargers fall to four and three. And uh, man, are the Seahawks officially a good team? Hmm. Geno Smith bounced back. Look, I thought Geno was a little off last week, but he continues his strong season, threw some dimes in there in this yeah. game. Marquise Goodwin's the guy that finds the end zone twice. Couple nice. I mean, that's how you use that speed as a compliment to Tyler Lockett and to DK Metcalf. That was beautiful. And then, oh, by the way, Kenneth Walker is just going off right now. It's the year of the running back here, Sam. Walker goes for 168, helped by the 74-yarder that really sealed the deal for Seattle. But, man, he just be, he's Kenneth Walker just looks spectacular so far. Yeah, he looked great. I feel so bad for J.C. Jackson. Like, we, we just got through last week, you know, ripping on him for how badly he's been playing in the new sort of zone, or his new, new to him, zone scheme for the Chargers. They're having him play in cover three. He's just not in the right place at the right time and getting run by consistently. This week, they completely changed. And J.C. Jackson was back playing press man coverage for the entire time and running with high-end Seahawks receivers in press man coverage looking like J.C. Jackson again. Now, he still gave up a play for a touchdown, but that's because when he put his knee in the ground, it exploded. And he dislocated his kneecap and immediately had to be carted off the field, air cast on it and all those kinds of things. So they're going to figure out today what the extent of that damage was. But they they might have – that could have been a huge upgrade for them, just changing the usage pattern of J.C. Jackson and putting him back in the position where he was so good for New England for so many years. And the fact that they were making that adjustment – I think is a hugely encouraging thing. For sure. And then because you don't always see that, right? We always talk right. about scheme fits and chargers like to do this and that. They were they were trying to adjust. Yeah, and look, so you know, people would sort of say, well, why didn't they do that in the first place? I think there's reason to think that JC Jackson should have been good in a zone heavy scheme. There's also no reason why he couldn't have been. This might have just been a rocky start. Like remember when Stephon Gilmore went to New England and all of a sudden there was coverage bus like every week and Stephon, he seemed to be at the heart of yes. it. The 2017 Patriots, the first six weeks of the season, had one of the worst defenses in the league and a lot of it was the coverage bust and Stephon Gilmore looked like a bust of a free agent yeah. signing through the first five, six, seven weeks of the year. And then Gilmore got, it, got himself on the right track and all of a sudden he was the linchpin behind everything they were doing in that defense. Now, I'm not saying, we don't know whether that would have happened or not with J.C. Jackson and evidently the Chargers at least believed that there was reason enough to think it wouldn't, that they should pivot back and start lining him up in press man coverage again. But, God, like, we just so many injuries. And him going down in that way just sucks. Like, the idea that <laughs> I'm constantly kind of bummed out that the idea that the human body sometimes just goes, no, I'm, you know, 
There's nothing. There was nothing in that when you're looking at it. Like he's running downfield with the guy, just plants his knee, yeah. and the knee just went. No, nah, not today. I'm it's out. Everything's just fast. I mean, it's the same way a, a thrower can blow out. It's just everything's happening fast, and you're you're asking you're asking your body to be physical and quick and at a high speed and changing direction. And it's just, yeah. And then another play, injuries. you know, DK Metcalf goes up to try and make catch, comes down and lands awkwardly and, and gets carted off with a knee that doesn't sound as bad. But Yeah, it seems like he's in good spirits. Yeah, but God, just in those kinds of injuries suck. They do. They absolutely do. Um, <clears throat> this was the, uh, the Ryan Neal game, by the way. The Ryan Neal game. Yeah. Seahawks safety, Ryan Neal. So if you guys remember it all, last year, if you look at Ryan Neal, you go to Premium Stats 2.0, if you have that uh, part of your PFF Plus package, check out Ryan Neal's career grades. It's like a whole bunch of grades in the 50s and 60s. Last year, he had a, an awesome game against the Niners, was matching up against George Kittle. Um, he's got a couple of these games in the 80s and 90s. This was one of them. Has the early interception of Justin Herbert, a couple other forced incompletions there. Every now and again, Ryan Neal, a 2018 undrafted free agent, out of what southern illinois every now and again he just has these uh these incredible games and uh this was one of them another two pass breakups from Tariq woolen yeah. one of them was another one of those ones where it's like got away with a little bit of contact late in the play he was chasing that one kind of the whole way but the first one was a really nice play driving on a, a dig route yeah again we those those are tough right because if you do get away with it it's almost like somewhat assuming that you know that you can get away with it right like you're there's a chance you're playing the you know the back judge you know who's who's watching you you know how they call things you know where their blind spots are that right. is part of cornerback play a lot of Other it, times you just get lucky and you know a lot of it is determining what position do you have at the time like the difference so sauce's play where he's getting physical with Cortland sutton i think and they're they're running and it was like oh this is just hand fighting the whole way like okay i would say that the hand fighting was initiated by sauce and was probably over the line on the other hand he was never out of phase on the play largely because of that but he never let himself get to a position where he was chasing or in trouble or struggling to get back in phase and blah blah, blah. so i think you can give a guy more leeway when he's in that position because you're like well this is just he's in position he's not cheating to try and get back it's definitely a fair counter to say yeah but the only reason he's in position is because of this contact in the first place but I think there's a difference between that and the Tariq Woolen play here where he is out of phase and he's chasing to get back in phase and the receiver is the guy making the adjustment at the end because he's looking at where the ball is and Tariq Woolen is just trying to catch up a yard and that's where the contact comes from. Like there's a, a default presumption on the first one that he's okay and the second one, like the contact is actually you're trying to rescue yourself from a bad position. How concerned – so the Chargers are 4-3, and three, and I know every team in the league besides three feels like, hey, they're not that good, no matter whether they're 6-1 and one or 3-4. and four, Nobody feels good, right? The Chargers are one of those don't-feel-good 4-3 and three teams, and I think a lot of their previous issues pop up again. It's this, you know, Herbert's averaging under six yards per attempt again, not enough explosive plays from the offense, but then the defense, man, right? The same thing from this last offseason – What's their run defense going to be like? Can they rush the passer better? Not a great game from Khalil Mack. From Sebastian Joseph Day to this point was one of those offseason signings that was supposed to help on the defensive interior. He's been disappointing this entire season. At what point is it, once again, a season where the Chargers are just getting beat up in the trenches up front 
And, you know, their stars, whether it's J.C. Jackson or Khalil Mack, their big free agent signings, just not, or trades, not necessarily doing enough here. That's part of it. Another part of it is they, the injuries they've had have been almost exclusively to really key players at critical positions, True. which is always a problem. This is a weirdly bad game from Justin Herbert. Um, his interception was really bad. Like, he tried to just tried to use his trust trusted his arm too much and tried to fire it between two linebackers across the middle of the field you know receiver running the in behind and you try and hit the window between the linebackers and the, the window just wasn't there I mean, he didn't it know too, it was the ryan neal game no obviously um but the it was just too tight a, a window it was never going to be there those that gap was always going to close and even with justin herbert's arm you weren't going to get it in there um those, those are the plays that he doesn't make like remember we were talking about he leads the league in turnover-worthy play rate. Like, he just doesn't put the ball in harm's way. These are the, like, plays like this are why that's true. He doesn't make those throws, and he did. Had another interception late in the game on uh, fourth and three when the game was pretty much over, 37-16 to 16 at the time for Seattle. Um, Darrell Taylor really had a really nice, um, Darrell Taylor, sorry, big uh, strip Trifecta. sack in there. What's that? Trifecta. Yeah, strip sack and... Uh, recovery, beautiful play there for uh, for Taylor and the Seahawks, man. So, are the Seahawks good now? Because it was easy to dismiss them earlier in the year because their defense was just really bad, and it didn't look like they had any any playmakers who could play. Now, all of a sudden, with Tariq Wollin emerging, Ryan Neal shows up every eight games, and you know, Daryl Taylor playing better. Are they actually a good enough defense to complement the fact that they've got one of the better quarterbacks in the league this year, Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker breaking out? Like, Seattle might actually be good now. Yeah, Herbert's other interception got negated, so they got a... The, was taken off, and they actually got fourth Oh, is that one. what it was, the fourth yeah, down? fourth and one on the next play. And oh, that's right, he only had the one. Down. My bad. Um, but it was, it was bad. The no-play filter. The no-play filter. Yeah. Um, what was the question? Are the Seahawks good? Yeah, because because if, if the, the the defense was um, was poor as of a couple weeks ago, yeah, but they're showing signs of life lately in the offense with Kenneth Walker and Geno Smith and the playmakers. Like they're not bad. The rookie tackles are playing pretty well, especially in pass protection. This was a good game by the defense. I still don't know that the defense is good. Now they're better than we thought they were at the start of the season because guys like Tariq Woolen are real. Yeah, you know, I again, I don't. We've reached the point in the season now where I'd be surprised if this was just a sample size fluke and Tariq Woolen goes back to being the guy we saw in college who was getting torched as often as he was making plays. Um, I'm not sure that's going to happen. So all of a sudden, you've got a guy that wasn't really in the the conversation or in the evaluation earlier when you were saying, "Oh, this is just not talented defense." So it's probably a better unit than we thought, but it's still not great. And I think this was just a good game from them, but. But the point being, the offense is good enough for them to be in contention. Like, in this division where the Rams have their own problems, the 49ers have dropped games where we thought they were a better team than they were. Uh, The Cardinals just don't look good. Um, This is a division where Seattle can be in the conversation for the playoffs with the offense because Geno Smith, I don't think, is going anywhere. And that duo receiver of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, like, there's enough on offense for them to fit the same um, template that they've had for years, which is the offense carrying the defense and actually dragging themselves to the playoffs. Speaking of the 49ers, they lose to the Chiefs. Chiefs 44. 49ers 23. Chiefs move to 5-2. and Niners fall to 3-4. and The Chiefs just pulled away late, man. It was a a close game for, for a little while. It was back and forth. 
from a Niners perspective, they had a lot go right early on. Early Patrick Mahomes interception. Niners get up 10-0. But then San Francisco starts settling for long field goals, and that never feels like a good recipe against Kansas City. And then the Chiefs, man, so explosive offensively in this one. They start creating those big plays. Juju Smith-Schuster, Marcos Valdez-Scantling, Travis Kelsey does his thing. Just a lot of huge big plays by the Chiefs. The 49ers defense not looking like anything they showed earlier in the season. Did you see the stat um, NFL research? Highest quarterback win percentage, including the playoffs since 2019. Number one, Patrick Mahomes, 790. So 80% of his games essentially he wins. Number two, Aaron Rodgers, 730. Number three, Patrick Mahomes in games where his team is trailed by 10 points, 706. Really? And number four, Tom Brady, 698. So the only quarterback with a better win rate than Patrick Mahomes since 2019 uh, when he's trailed by 10 points in a game is Aaron Rodgers. Ten, Yeah, 10 nothing. And it was like nothing. It is. I mean, honestly, I've made this point before that I think the Chiefs offense is almost happier when they're put in a 10-point deficit and they can just go, all right, let's let's just do this. Yeah, We don't have to pretend that we should run the ball or, you know, do these things that we do just to keep the the balance or the game script we can just go out here and ball um mitchell schwartz had a really good tweet here because um james palmer reports nick bosa said the chiefs had a good game plan and it threw him off personally he said they threw a lot of stuff at him and he has to be written he has to be ready for that mitchell schwartz his response was he was a wrecking ball earlier early in the game but then you get chipped doubled cut Jet sweeps go by you for touchdowns. You got to run away from, run at. You get put a, t- you have a tight end or wide receiver next to you to make you uncomfortable. It takes a toll mentally. I feel like you could, if you're watching the game closely, you can kind of feel that, right? There were touchdowns that went right by Bosa. You could see him um, every now and again. As soon as you start teeing off, the the tackle just plays soft, right? Every now, when you watch it on a, and it's a screen, right? The tackle just kind of like lets you bull rush him into the quarterback, and before you know it, the screen's behind you. That was one of the biggest plays of the game. I think the Chiefs were backed up on third and twenty or so. Uh, probably going to have to settle for a long field goal, but a, a little screen to Jarek McKinnon goes for thirty yards, puts him on the goal line. I think the next play was a touchdown. Justin Watson, little plays like that where. Look, Mahomes is awesome. He's fantastic. He got away with a bad red zone uh, decision as well that was not intercepted. But the offense as a whole was absolutely cooking, whether it's a screenplay here and there. Like the last touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster, there was like the Niners looked like they were playing with nine guys on the field. There were open receivers left and right. Mahomes was hitting them. And they did stuff like what we're saying to Nick Bosa to take – the one guy that can wreck the game up front, take him out by just attacking him different ways. Yeah, no, they did a great job of, of combating Bosa. Like, Travis Kelsey is so good. Both tight ends, actually, in this game. Like, you, Travis Kelsey, it was National Tight End Day or whatever it was, and both tight ends ended up with almost identical stat lines. Uh, it was like, what, six for 98 yards, and then uh, Kittle had a touchdown. Kelsey didn't. Kelsey had a touchdown that was negated. Kittle also had a play in there that was negated. But anyway... Both these guys, you're watching them, and they're like, they are so good. Um, Kelsey is just so big, fast, and strong. Like, when he got into the end zone at that time, it was, it was just a pass that was fired in there, and he just hands catches it and then just stands there strong through a hit and just shrugs it off. You know what I mean? Like, these are like, – plays like that are why you look at um, players like that, the sort of elite tight ends, and, and realize what a problem they are because – 
you can't just put a DB on him because he does that. He's so right. strong that he can just ride through that contact and there's nothing you can do about it. And then when you match him up with a linebacker or somebody that's bigger and heavier, they just make them look ridiculous in the open field or, or when they're running routes and those kinds of things. Same thing with, with George Kittle. I, this is just a great game of realizing or sort of remembering how freaking good those two guys are. Other key plays to remember here. By the way, I just want to touch on the sequence before the half because it was just some, some really ugly football. And it's back to, I know the Chiefs are coming off a loss, but you mentioned it at the end against the Bills. They, they, they look like the two best teams, Yeah. right? The margin for error is tight in, in both of those games. But to beat the Chiefs, you really need a lot of things to go right. At the end of the second quarter, the Niners line up for one of those long field goals, and it's like you probably should start going for fourth and longs, fourth and fives and sixes and stuff against the Chiefs because even if you hit the field goal, it doesn't necessarily matter a ton. Um, but the Niners have a false start. Chiefs do a really nice job, little line stunt. False start, they move back. Then they have to punt. Gets muffed by Sky Moore, your boy. Probably shouldn't be returning punts anymore. Probably not. He muffs it. It's so the Niners, the Niners are gifted at like the 12-yard line, whatever it was, right? Yeah. They, they're, they're gifted. Um this possession at the very least they're going to get their three points back uh-huh. instead jimmy g throws an interception just kind of chucks it up ridiculous interception yes um uh, pff's kev cole asks he's he's like a jimmy g defender because kev loves epa as a stat and jimmy g's epa is always pretty strong and it's and he's in kev was posing the question like why is the why is the jimmy g discourse always so one-sided it's because we're all watching the game kev because of those plays because we're watching the game and we see the high epa plays are wide open space plays, much like Tua last night. Like Tua looked like he's thrown into an ocean for mo- much of the game. But anytime the windows got tighter, I'm not saying Jimmy G makes a lot of good throws too. I mean, he's not he's not horrible. I'm saying there's a lot of free plays, nice plays that are schemed up in this system, and then there's a lot of those disastrous decisions like what Jimmy G had there. So that's a huge sequence. The other one, the Niners keep coming back, and Garoppolo did make some big plays in this game. You know, some nice throws or whatever, but. It's 28 to 23, third and 11. Marcos Valdez-Scantling just straight torches. Was that was that Traverius? Yep. Right by Traverius mm-hmm. for a 57-yarder. Mahomes was outstanding in the fourth quarter. The Chiefs' offense was unstoppable in the fourth quarter. So that's what I'm saying. Like this fine line, like you finally get the Chiefs to third and long. This has been the Mahomes era, right, for the Chiefs. You finally get Mahomes into third and long, and he just hits the go ball to uh, Marcos Valdez-Scantling for 57 and – Chiefs just ran away with it in the fourth quarter. They really did. Um, like, they, they're they just better. I mean, the Chiefs are a legit Super Bowl contender. They look really good. And the 49ers have had in the last couple of weeks games where they're, they would – you'd have to question what they uh, what they bring. Um, the Christian McCaffrey dynamic was also pretty oh, interesting. Yeah. They, they bring him in. They trade for him on Thursday. He gets the playbook on the plane on the way over there. Um and so, you know, the, leading into this game, it's like, well, is he going to play? If he's going to play, what's it going to look like? They, they deployed him basically as the lead back. Like, not just a, here's a red zone package or, like, here's three plays that are all the same. They just sent him out there, and you're like, you're the, you're the main back in the offense. You're going to play. Um, I mean, the, run outside zone. Well, know. so the comment, the, I think it was a Greg Olson in the booth. Yeah, Olson is fantastic. He really is. He's Olson should be the top guy. I mean, no offense to Tom Brady. 
but Greg Olson should be the top guy for Fox. I yes, think. he yeah going forward. Whether like or not he's designated come. that way, he is that guy. He is right now. I'm just saying it. It sounds like they're keeping the seat warm. No, I know. Brady, but like he's the best guy seen. they have. Is my what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, Olson's fantastic. Um, he was saying that effectively they were they're basically just telling him to play in the huddle. You know, they call the play, and then somebody was saying McCaffrey, here's what it is. Where here's what you do. You know, which. That was for, one of those he was kind of guessing and joking because the first well, pass they threw to McCaffrey was a screen. But also for a running back... It Garoppolo makes, actually did say that. For a so. running back, it makes a ton of sense. Like, yeah. it's not rocket science. Once you... When somebody's telling you, okay, this is inside zone right, you know? Yeah. Your, your job is relatively simple at that point. It's just, okay, you understand vaguely yeah. what the play is, figure it out. Like you're not... It, it doesn't have the nuance that other positions have in terms of the exact area of responsibility. The area that it causes problems is, you know, blitz pickup or stuff that is more right. complicated that requires more in-depth knowledge of the the adjustments and the breakdowns. But in terms of the actual plays being run, it's pretty simple to take a guy who doesn't have any idea what he's doing and say, okay, the blah, blah, call the play, and then some guy lean over to him and say, this is what it is, run this. Yeah, as far as, like, routes go, you just run, run screens, yeah. you know, keep it... Keep it simple as much as possible. Um, yeah, so McCaffrey ends up carrying the ball eight times for 38 yards, a couple catches for 24 yards. Certainly not enough. By the in way, this one. the other element of the before the half, the Chiefs, they kick a field goal and miss on third and 20. Yeah, so that was what they got, they got backed up, but yeah. they had no timeouts left. That was, that was kind of Andy Reid saying, I don't. There was at least one time, I think, in Mahomes' career where he... There was 11 seconds on the clock. Remember, they went, they got into field goal position with 13 seconds on the clock. Yeah, but what are you going to do? You just Get gonna... an easier field goal attempt. Maybe. I think there was at least one time in Mahomes' career, I can't remember offhand, if may, maybe they, they, they messed up the clock late and didn't get a field goal off. Yeah. Right? And I don't know if that... I can't remember if that was true or not, but I don't know if that stuck in their head. But what you can do is say, all right, we're going to hit a five-yard out. You have to get out of bounds. You can't yeah. do anything in bounds. You're not going to take chances in the end zone, right, at that point. There's 11 seconds left on the clock in twice in recent memory. In 13 and 12 seconds, they have gone a significant distance to get into field goal range. You're telling me they couldn't have picked up X more yards to give Butker a slightly easier game? No, they could have. No, look, it's 39 yards. It's not like it was a like. It's not like they were doing this and saying, "No, yeah. we're good with a 55-yard shot." They were worried about not like, not coming away with points. But and 11 seconds, like you know, I know. I 11 seconds with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, that should not be a gimme. What like, you, I, 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 like, should not be bail on this and let's just kick it. What you should do is line up, see how the defense lines up, and if they're giving you the five-yard out, eight-yard out, something that you can get out of bounds quickly you take it if they're not you snap each throw it away sure and then they didn't do it they missed the field goal they just didn't yeah they, they just still scored 44 points andy reed has a andy reed is a great coach one of the best coaches in the nfl his flaw though is these critical time management situations late in the half or late in the games which i mean these are the fine margins right if you're playing buffalo again it's coming down to one of these maybe Instead of the 13 seconds going your way, it breaks against you because he does something like that. By the way, this is the Meikle Hardman game, too. Catches a tap pass for a touchdown. And three, then, uh, three touchdowns. Two rushing touchdowns. Yeah. The end around. This, this was the, the Chiefs offense, though, right? You got Hardman wor working uh, horizontally with his speed. Juju working the middle of the field with Kelsey. Valdez Scantling as the deep threat. This was, this was everything working, man. Jarek McKinnon on screens. 
This was taking all those various skill sets, which, look, we talk a lot about Tyreek Hill and the impact that he has, and he absolutely does. But this was one of those games where they did kind of replace Tyreek Hill in the aggregate. They took all of these various skill sets, used them properly, used them all over the field, and they all they all came together and put together a huge game offensively for the Chiefs. So there we go, 44-23. Chiefs over the Niners. Last game, Dolphins 16, Pittsburgh Steelers 10. Dolphins move to 4-3. and three. Steelers fall to 2-5 and five on Sunday night football. Kenny Pickett with uh, two game-sealing interceptions in the fourth quarter for the Steelers. Yeah, the Kenny Pickett narrative is, is going to get quite strange because um, he's generally played reasonably well, but he does keep throwing the ball to defenders. Yeah. Which is kind of unfortunate. Great play, by the way, at the end. Was it Igbenogany who made the pick and got his Yeah, feet along down? the sideline. It was a poor decision, but Igbenogany does a great job keeping his feet in along the sideline there. Um, all told, though, it's, it's still just not a very explosive Steelers offense. Najee Harris is averaging 3.8 per carry in this game. Uh, when they throw to George Pickens, good things tend to happen, but mm. even then there were some short passes in there. Great touchdown, beautiful. I mean, he just looks so smooth on anything back shoulder but it's just a whole bunch of you know six eight yard gains over and over again the Steelers offense yeah I mean at the catch point in the past game at the catch point George Pickens is insane yeah like his his body control is phenomenal his understanding of the sideline and how to get his feet down his it's just it's all pretty incredible like getting his second foot down on that catch was crazy last night not just because it wasn't the case of this just fall and it'll drag down like he acted we watch him contort in the air he sort of slams his right foot down like there was a conscious effort to fire that foot towards the ground to try and get that second toe to hit which he needed to do because otherwise his hand was going to come down before it did there aren't many receivers in the nfl that can make that play so every um i guess really good players get this a lot like they make these plays and then everybody starts throwing comparisons out there like in a in a matter of minutes, I saw Mike Williams of the Chargers. I saw A.J. Green. Of course, I've used Brandon Lloyd. He's probably a souped-up version of Brandon Lloyd. But that's how good pickings can be, right? Like You've got this range of really good receivers where people just see the body control, how he wins, the physicality, and just a lot that, that he brings to the table. So um, the other story of the game is uh, Chris highlighted it on the show. Four dropped interceptions by the Steelers, three one was more of just like it went off uh, Dolphins' hands, but like the other three, Tua throws the ball directly to the defense. And this mm-hmm. remains an issue. And my Jimmy G comp, man, my Jimmy G comp for Tua, I'm, I'm not great with all my comps and everything, but this is, this is Jimmy G, right? This just felt like a Garoppolo game in the same system, right? He's throwing into this ocean of space to Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, who are fast and look fast. And in and, and the offense, they were they were humming right off the bat, right? That first drive, quick, yeah. and everybody's open. But once the windows tighten up a little bit, and, some, and just there were some bad decisions. Tua, dating back to last year, with the lead in the fourth quarter, continues to throw the ball to the defense. It did not come back to bite in this one, other than the fact that they didn't score. Yeah. Right? They didn't lose the ball, but they didn't score. And with all this explosiveness on the offense, they still only scored 16 points. You, you can't take away the second half against the Ravens where they scored a million. <laughs> but if you do, <laughs> they're not scoring a ton of points in Miami, even though it looks really cool. It does. 
Um, the and you look some some of the decisions are bad. The the accuracy wasn't good either on those some of those deep shots. The the one that he forced was a Tyreek Hill late in the game where he forced that down the left sideline. The it was into double coverage and ended up I think like bouncing off Terrell Edmonds. Yeah, um, like that was legit double coverage. Yep, they had a cornerback in trail. They had the safety running over the top. And the worst thing about it is, if you look at the other side of the field, Jalen Waddle ends up making that corner fall over. And at the point where two is releasing the ball, he's doing the Randy Moss. Yeah. When his rece- his corner is literally face first in the ground like this, like as he's making that play. Um, okay, look, it doesn't work like that, right? If you're reading one side of the field, but whatever. But you look at that motion, and it's putting him in a position with a ton of guys. It's not. It's not single coverage he's not going to be one-on-one the whole way whereas waddle on the other side was i think that's a bad decision and it was inaccurate and so that's in the fourth quarter with a one score lead right we saw two would do this i think it was last week of the season last year against the patriots he gave he throws a fourth quarter interception with the lead he did the same thing in week one this year against new england but it got dropped these turnover worthy plays from tua have become a bit of an issue all that said early on he did look sharp you could see the the quick release and and what he brings to the table as far as getting rid of the ball and sack avoidance and all that stuff um and then on the other hand you have him lowering his shoulder to try to pick up an extra couple of yards a couple times man it's like yeah just i i don't like josh allen takes a lot of hits and I'm not a not a pure believer in just because you're 6'5", 240, you're more durable than the guy that's six foot two hundred or whatever. Um, over time, I think Josh Allen, just like Cam Newton, could get banged up, right? Like if you keep taking those hits. Mm. At the same time, it, it is easier to take those hits if you're six five two forty. My whole point with quarterbacks staying healthy is it's a style. It's a style thing. Quarterbacks stay healthy when you get rid of the ball. Yeah, you look, avoid big hits. You throw the ball away when you need to. You slide when you need to. And two is not making those decisions still. Yeah. And he, look, they interviewed him after the game. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> we're going to have to go away and look at probably not making those plays again. So he at least, I think, understands that he shouldn't be doing that. But there's, it, it's, a, it's a sort of muddy data point, right? Because you, you look and the data actually says the bigger quarterbacks – are more prone to get injured than smaller quarterbacks because it's a play style thing. It's not a contact thing. It's like right. the the alternative is don't take those hits. Like, yep. you know, the big quarterbacks tend to take those hits because they play in a style that they can play because they're much bigger. But if you compare it to a guy that knows he's small and doesn't take a hit, he's going to be better. So, but where it comes that where, where it flips is if you're going to have contact, it's much better to be the hammer than the nail, which is the issue here. Yeah. Like Tua could be a much more That's a good point. Tua could be a much more uh, or a much less injury-prone quarterback relative to Josh Allen if Tua understood that he weighed half as much as Josh Allen and, and undertook a mission to never take a hit for the rest of his career. Well, this you know? is part. My but issue. if he's going to play like Josh Allen, he will get hurt more than Josh Allen because he's outweighed by like 50 pounds. Tua tried to be the hammer on these plays. He tried. Yeah. He's just a 200-pound hammer instead exactly. of a 240-pound hammer. And so that's, that's not a good idea. Yeah. The um, On the other side, so I think from a Steelers, if you're a Steelers fan, you're like, man, missed opportunities. Um, on also, if you're a Steelers fan, you're probably confused by Kenny Pickett. Another one of those games where like a, a, a quarterback completed a high percentage of passes, right? But when they were incomplete, they were to the other team. Two of them really on Pickett. They were his fault. 
Um, and they were in crunch time. They were on game-winning drive opportunities. Javon Holland jumps the first one. Holland continues to uh, just bri- uh, shine brightly in that secondary for the Dolphins. Um, and then the ill-advised pass to Igbenogany in the, in the end zone. The Kenny Pickett experience, I've seen that described a couple times. I think Ben Solak was describing it as a guy that uh, plays like he's got high-end traits, like a Josh Allen, tries to make those types of plays, but doesn't have high-end traits. <laughs> and, and then everybody's like, hey, you, it, I, multiple people are like, hey, that's Taylor Heineke. And um, that's not necessarily what you want to hear if you're a Steelers fan right now. No, I, I mean, I don't think his traits are, okay, they're not elite. They're not like Josh Allen traits. Um but I don't think they're bad either. Like, he's just putting the ball in. I mean, he's playing like a rookie. Like, that's ultimately what we're talking about here. A guy who is actually doing a pretty good job overall. Yeah. But is putting the ball in harm's way too often and in ill-advised situations and bad times. And, like, the difference between those guys and Jared Goff is that Goff is still doing it, you know, this number of years into his career. It makes sense for a rookie to be doing it. Um but as long as he is, like, those are problematic plays. They're not rookie mistakes if everybody makes them. I don't know. Well, they are. It's just that some guys never get out of making rookie mistakes. Then it's not a rookie like, I mean, mistake. It's just a mistake. Well, it's a rookie mistake because rookies make them more often. Like, it's, a bad, it's just a bad play. But, it, but rookies are more prone to those mistakes than seasoned NFL players. But, but oftentimes, the reason seasoned NFL players are simply not good is because they're still making rookie mistakes. The Steelers' offense as a whole still remains difficult to understand because I do think Kenny Pickett's given him a little bit of a spark. Um, I've just I've said before I don't think Trubisky was poor at throwing the ball. I just don't think his throws brought a lot of value to the team. Right, Pickett feels like he's moving the ball a little bit more. You know, pick one up with his legs here and there, but still not putting points on the board in Pittsburgh. Now, two you, know, you have two red zone interceptions. That's part of it, or two uh, two late you know two interceptions as you're driving. That'll hurt, too, but I don't know what to do with the Steelers, man, offensively. Um, and then the Dolphins, they do look like a different team with Tua, again, even though they scored 16 points. They are. Points. They're a different team. And look, this, yeah, Tua made a bunch of bad decisions in this game that tossed the ball to Steelers defenders multiple times. If he doesn't do that, and it's a big if, but if he doesn't do that, this is a dramatically more productive offense than it would be with Skylar Thompson or with Teddy Bridgewater, a quarterback. Like, Tua does make a difference to this team, but he can't have those turnover-worthy plays if you're going to have – if they're going to have the kind of success that they want to have. Like, that is a big difference. Teron Armstead comes back at left tackle, doesn't give up a pressure, much better than what we saw the last couple of weeks between Brandon Shell and Greg Little, right? Was it Little at left tackle two, yep. years, uh, two weeks ago? Last week. So that, that helped too, but again – Tua is lightning quick with his release. He will help protect the offensive line as much as possible. Which is another element that he has in his favor. So there you go. Dolphins move to 4-3. and Everybody in the AFC East is 3-3 and or better. Patriots are going to play tonight against the Bears. And that's it. My picks were much better this week, huh? Yeah, seven wins. Going full Costanza. Seven wins with a game to go. Who have you picked in in the game? I would have taken New England, so definitely took Chicago. So you did indeed take Chicago. Yeah. They, maybe, look, they got eight points to play with. So maybe if I do with a, a hybrid of now, you got to go full. If I'm gonna, if Costanza works for me this week, got to do it again next. Well, week. what did you get? So you got, you didn't have a good. Uh, you got Thursday night wrong. Cardinals rolled. You didn't see the Chiefs covering. 
Or you did. So I you, did. Yeah. Right. Uh, you got the Chargers Seahawks game wrong. You got the Jacksonville Giants game wrong. Uh, neither of us got Detroit. Um, and then you got Houston wrong. So th- those are where you failed. I don't know what your learnings are from that, but you know. Maybe I'll make some adjustments. Maybe there's a hybrid and I'll go like 13 and 0 <laughs> in a couple of weeks here. Anyway. Always a great Monday morning, an efficient Monday morning for us. Efficient. Yeah. Thank you to the bye weeks. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. As always, tell your friends. This is the podcast to listen to the day after, PFF NFL podcast. And uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Send your emails if you have any uh, hot topics you want us to discuss. Mm -hmm. We'll be back here on Wednesday for our midweek show, previewing Thursday night football. And uh, that's it. Anything else? No. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday.